This episode of Primitive Culture is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the non-profit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Tim Russ, Lieutenant Commander Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Open your mind to the past. Oh, this may mean something. I've been coerced into watching tonight's movie. You do have books in the 24th century. It's a primitive culture. I'm just trying to blend in. Some people think the future means the end of history. We haven't run out of history quite yet. Hello and welcome to Primitive Culture, a Trek FM podcast all about our history, our culture and how Star Trek relates to it. I'm Duncan Barrett and today I'm joined by Tony Black. Hi Tony, how are you? Hi Duncan, I'm not too bad thanks. It's nice to be back on for another uh, episode names episode. <laughs> it's You've gone through quite a few since we were on last I think. You've managed to dip out of quite a few of these, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is the series that you and I came up with that we thought would be a sort of, you know, a light little diversion and, and seems to have kind of expanded and expanded into a kind of monstrous uh, beer moth. In- but um, we're, we're kind of hopefully touch wood nearing the end. Yeah. Uh, certainly with this episode, we're, we're kind of picking up towards the end of Voyager and we're hoping to blitz through back to the Alpha Quadrant and mm. then get through Enterprise in this episode <laughs> and then that'll just leave all the kind of more modern treks to come. Yeah. We'll see if we get there. But um we'll give it our best shot. We will. Uh which means I think the the first episode I had from where Lee and I left off last time was the Voyager episode Tinker Tenor Doctor Spy. Mm. This is a fantastic title, yeah. uh, I think, on several levels and obviously um picking up from the John Le Carre novel. Yeah, nineteen seventy four, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. It's I, this. This is probably one of his. It might be Le Carre's most famous book. I think about George Smiley, the uh, spy master who uncovers a, a Russian mole in the British Secret Service. I, I've. Have you read this? I've read bits. I've got it, and I've read bits of it, and I have seen the latest film adaptation, but I've never read the whole thing. I don't know if you have. I have to say, I've neither read it nor seen either film, <laughs> either the TV series or the film, and I understand yeah. all three of them are masterpieces and wonderful and I, I you know i i am intending to one day um not least because i have an idea that we might do a sort of le carré garrick yes. uh, sort of crossover episode of primitive culture at some point but um no i haven't it's taken i think from a nursery rhyme as well the title is from a, an old nursery rhyme according to wikipedia tinker taylor is a counting game nursery rhyme and fortune telling song traditionally played in england that can be used to count cherry stones buttons daisy petals and other items it has a rude folk song index number of 802. Okay. For those interested in that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, the most common version is Tinker Tailor, Soldier Sailor, Rich Man, Poor Man, Beggar Man, Thief. Um, right, okay. The most common American version is Rich Man, Poor Man, Beggar Man, Thief, Doctor, Lawyer or Merchant, Indian Chief. I think I've heard that one. I've heard that one more than the British one. 
Yeah, that's interesting. So the, mm. the Doctor is kind of in there. Um, it just sort of struck me. I mean, I, I love this episode. I think it's a great episode of Voyager. I think it's a clever title. Does the fact that when you say Tinker, well, okay, they doesn't doesn't say Taylor T- Tinker Tanner, but you, you know, you establish Tinker Taylor the Le Carre slash, uh, you, you know, BBC TV adaptation or whatever at this stage. The word that is sort of latent in that is soldier. And is there something of that, that, you know, this is the episode where the doctor, as well as the, the sort of spy element and so on, and obviously he's tinkering with his program and he's singing and so on, that he is kind of seeing himself in a military role. Do you know what I mean? That is that, is that word soldier kind of almost there in the, the unconscious of the, of the, the, the reference somehow? Oh, maybe, maybe it could be, it, it could be part of the fact that towards the end of, Voyager, they start giving him a lot more of these kind of you know focused episodes. It feels like that they're trying to make him into a, an unusual kind of, if not heroic, then you know combative main character in some in some respects. And I think I think they just like the I think they just like the pun of it. Really, I think this is this seems to be one of those classic sort of let's do a play on. Although yeah, I don't know if Trek really did a lot of these kind of on the nose sort of pun titles though, did they? This this sounds like something you get from Michael Giacchino's albums for Trek movies, doesn't it? Really, that kind of playful title. It's quite it's quite a sort of cheeky one, I suppose, isn't it? It's quite a sort of yeah, it's a jokey title. I mean, it's a jokey episode. It's a you know, it's a funny episode, but it's a very um, I was going to say frivolous. That's not quite the right word, but it, it's a sort of winking. Uh, jokey title and it's a, and it's a reference to something that doesn't have much to do with the uh, story except that uh, it's a kind of clever clever kind of play on words in a way the next episode i had is a very straightforward one alice now i was always very puzzled by this episode and i was also always very puzzled by the title and i think the only explanation for the title is when you realize as brandon shamitella uh explained to me that this episode of Voyager is based on the Stephen King novel, Christine. Um, and Brandon and I did an episode of Primitive Culture way back, um, looking at this episode and the novel and the film as well, and talking about that because he's a massive uh, John Carpenter fan and, and Christine, the, the movie is a, a big John Carpenter movie. Um, and I suppose it's slightly odd, to be honest, that that's the name of the Stephen King novel, even. This is a, a novel about a murderous car. Insofar as you know, it's just this female. It doesn't tell you anything. Do you know what I mean? It's a name that kind of tells you almost nothing. Uh, I suppose he'd done the same with Carrie, and 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 we kind of, you know, we know what that represents, if you know what I mean. But Alice, it's a weird one. It's not going to be Alice in Wonderland. It's not, you know, it's it's not really alluding to anything with the name Alice. It's just uh, that there's that kind of parallel there with the source material. But that that would be your instinct, though, wouldn't it? To imagine this is a play on like Lewis Carroll, or it's about a character sort of going down maybe a rabbit hole, you know, and going into like a fantasy world or something like Alice is definitely going to bring up that Wonderland sort of connotation. But in this case, they were clearly going for a Christine-esque sort of name, weren't they? I think with with Christine, the whole... And I haven't read the book, but I've seen the movie and I, I did enjoy the film. And it's been a lot... I have listened to the podcast with Brandon. It was quite a while ago now, so it's not fresh in my mind. But I think generally the idea of the name Christine is that the, the film... And the story is sort of set, you know, partly back in the 1950s. And the car is sort of named after, you know, you might, Christine might be the name of the girl next door, you know, in the 19 sort of 50s Americana. So I think it's a very innocuous name for what turns out to be a very scary 
you know, car in this case. So I think that's what they were trying to get with Alice, weren't they? That kind of juxtaposition between something that's a bit crazy or scary and something that's very homely and, and you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. Not a great episode, I have to say, but I, I do think once you uh, see it as a kind of Stephen King riff, it at least mm. gives it... Um, a little bit more bites. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of bites, the next episode that I had uh, on my list was Dragon's Teeth. Oh, that's a good now, one. Now, this is one where the, the reference is actually uh, helpfully explained by Chakotay in the episode. <laughs> he does a kind of reprise of his uh, Scorpion story from Scorpion, and here he explains the title Dragon's Teeth. He's kind of, obviously, the guy to rely on when you need... Um, yeah your episode title explained <laughs> but this is originally from greek mythology i think i think chakotay just says it was a sort of mythical story um this idea that the the teeth of the the dragon that was slain would be sort of planted around and spring up into warriors uh obviously relating to this situation as as chakotay kind of comments in the episode of these what are they like in stasis or whatever these these terrifying uh characters the vadwa who who even look sort of slightly dragonish uh themselves with their kind of scaly uh makeup and so on so i i think a great episode it's one of those real you know what might have been for voyager because they seemed like this fantastic uh villainous race that they brought in and then never returned to again and i know that star trek online has used them i'm sure the novels have used them you know they're kind of um they're almost a bit of a gift but they they for whatever reason they didn't go back to that one uh so having planted the dragon's teeth they didn't let them germinate (laughs) whatever it is that you expect them to do to to you know create more and more um drama along the line yeah, well, I believe this was supposed to be a two-parter as well, wasn't it? At some point, it was supposed to be much more mm, fleshed so. out. And, and that's the thing; it's it's a really evocative title. It's a really interesting title. You know, I wonder which came first. You know, did they did they happen upon this myth and this you know this legend and then think, oh, that's a good idea for a title, or did it sort of you know come together and fit? Either way, it does work. It sort of in, it it suggests real menace. It suggests a real sense of scale. Uh, and and, he, and he's evocative and mythical. Yeah, it's really good. It's just it's just a shame. Yeah, like you say, they didn't do more with the the Vardwar and and built West well, Voyager to a T, isn't it? You know, <laughs> didn't do enough with the good stuff they had. Didn't even make a two part episode, and yet we got a two parter for Workforce. Which <laughs> Ooh, I find yeah. one of the most baffling decisions yeah. uh, in Voyager history. <laughs> um, just just to to go back to the original legends, these. Dragon's Teeth featured prominently, this is from Wikipedia again, in the legends of the Phoenician prince Cadmus and in Jason's quest for the golden teeth. Yeah, the golden teeth. And in Jason's <laughs> quest for the golden... Sorry. I really want to see that, though. Be a less... Yeah. <laughs> less, That's amazing. Slightly less dramatic story. <laughs> the Dragon's Teeth feature prominently in the legends of the Phoenician prince Cadmus and in Jason's quest for the golden fleece. Uh, Cadmus, the bringer of literacy and civilization, killed the sacred dragon that guarded the spring of Ares. The goddess Athena told him to sow the teeth from which sprang a group of ferocious warriors called the Spartoi. He threw a precious jewel into the midst of the warriors who turned on each other in an attempt to seize the stone for themselves. The five survivors joined with Cadmus to found the city of Thebes. So there are sort of a, a, um, a kind of origin myth for that city as well, but definitely a, a great title and a great episode. Um, the following episode, we have one small step, obviously, you know, a reference to Neil Armstrong and really playing into this kind of nostalgia for NASA and the kind of sort of golden age of NASA, which weirdly is something that I feel like we're seeing again on TV at the moment because we've got um, 
Disney have been streaming their adaptation of the right stuff. We've got uh, Ron Moore's new series for all mankind, which is, if anyone hasn't seen it, is absolutely phenomenal, I would say, which is this sort of alternate history of NASA through the 1970s and onwards. So it sort of feels like, for whatever reason, we're at a moment where we're kind of looking back to that period uh, with a sort of real nostalgia, kind of early days of the of the space race uh, and beyond. But this is absolutely Voyager, you know, Star Trek's futuristic space ex- exploration, uh, looking back fondly to this kind of fictional, you, you know, it's one of those things where it sits in between us and them, but it's it's told in this kind of very nostalgic way. I wonder if it's that they, at that point, you know, this is the, turn, well, just about the turn of the millennium nearly, and they're starting to see that the actual space missions going into space are starting to be supplanted by, you know, robots and these, you know, more technical sort of missions into space, and there's not so many astronauts going out there and doing these things. So at that point, maybe they're looking back fondly on, you know, like you say, that nostalgic sort of, you know, e- exploration. And now... I think with the, you know this resurgence, you've also got that. Uh, well, it was recently cancelled after one season, but you had a- away on Netflix, and you had mm-hmm. um, the Challenger sort of docu docu series as well. That's that's been on there, yeah, yeah. and I, I think there's a lot about now. There's a lot of forward thinking towards Mars. You know, a lot of these sort of shows are thinking about the next steps. You know, colonizing future planets, the next steps of you know actually getting a manned mission to Mars, which for all their uh, uh, complications that the previous American administration, as I've recorded, were talking about a manned mission to Mars. So, you know, that's something that could well happen, you know, one day. So, yeah, I think there's there's a real sort of... that is It is a really good title because it does evoke the moon landings, you know, the moon mission. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting how Star Trek's and generally sort of television and and and, and storytelling is interested in in this still you know it seems to be coming back around definitely it's also of course the quotation that goes right back to you know the time of the original series going back to 1969 uh you know going back to the 1960s um the next episode i wanted to pull up unless you've got anything in between is blink of an eye which is an episode that seems to go back is is literally almost identical to an episode of the original series wink of an eye uh but here we have blink of an eye and um a sort of slightly different take on i suppose basically the same idea that time is moving at different speeds for different people Mm, yeah it is it is good it's a it's a well-known sort of phrase anyway isn't it blink of an eye and it kind of you know again it's it's quite evocative but it can mean sort of different things and it's certainly you know there's obviously that whole idea of time dilation you know and and in this episode and that kind of thing so it definitely evokes that one thing i did one what i did want to briefly bring up in this little gap was the voyager conspiracy because i i always felt that episode had huge promise and then never lived up to it at all basically but it was you you wanted there to be a conspiracy right <laughs> I really X-Files want style. <laughs> X-Files style. <laughs> just couldn't accept that the conspiracy was just seven of nine going slightly nuts. Going nuts. <laughs> I was like, that's, kind of that's rubbish. Conspiracy theorist, yeah. yeah. I want there to be a, a syndicate of evil people on the Brit- yeah. on Voyager. On Voyager, But I, yeah. I, what I liked about it was that it, it sort of, that title almost felt a little bit leaning into that kind of 1970s conspiracy thriller, you know, that, that, the, that the show, the episode maybe wants to sort of tap into, you know, that something like, you know, you get Robert Ludlum right in his novels, you know, The Bourne Conspiracy, The Bourne Ultimate, you know, that kind of thing. So I quite like the fact they did that, even though it's a very simplistic title, there is a little bit of a wink towards that, you know, kind of pulp sort of conspiratorial storytelling. So yeah, I did like that one. 
Well, I'm going to jump forward quite a bit, but again, let me know if you have anything in the meantime. Um, and just jump to the episode Collective, which is the episode where we get the Borg kids, just to make a sort of very small point that I wonder which is what's the real collective here? Is is it the Borg collective or is it really about Voyager? Because this seems to be an episode that leans very much into this idea of Voyager as a family ship. Uh, they're literally sort of picking up waifs and strays and orphans along the way and folding them into their own collective. Um, and it's just, it's an interesting, obviously it's a word that we associate with the Borg, but it's also one, it, it, it has a more benign feel than, you know, assimilation or later we're going to get uh well regeneration which doesn't sound particularly sinister in its own right but um when you associate it with the borg it does whereas the idea of a collective it just sort of struck me it has a slightly double meaning here maybe i think it does and i think it's also one of those titles that only has resonance particularly to star trek fans if you understand the borg you know, particularly, you're coming into this, you you see the word collective, you're going to go, oh, Borg collective if you're a Star Trek fan. Whereas if you're not that versed, well-versed in the Borg by this point, you won't necessarily ne- understand the evocation beyond a very basic idea, yeah, of a collective. But I think, I think it's, I think it's interesting that we're at the point now where you can have these titles like, you know, like, um, collective or later regeneration, which we'll get to, which play on your knowledge of the Borg, actually. You know, in Star Trek lore. And I think that's, that's not necessary. I don't know if that would have worked quite as it was well if you'd have done it in the next generation earlier on when the Borg weren't quite as well known and well established or arguably overused as they are in Voyager. You know what I mean? Well, Lee made an interesting point, I think, in the previous uh, episode of these that often when these titles are the first thing that you know about the following week's episode or you, you know or possibly even going a bit further ahead if, if the titles sort of get out first mm. which certainly is the case now and i, th- I think yeah. back in the day you know sometimes you would you would get the titles kind of coming down the line mm. that there's an element of often they are sort of teasing what kind of a story it's going to be so he was saying with deep space nine you can kind of see okay that's going to be the ferengi episode this season that's going to be the uh bajoran religion episode do you, do you know what i mean they, they kind of clue cue you in to what which of the various sandboxes that the show plays in they're kind of going for that time um and i suppose obviously something like collective it cues you in it's okay it's going to be a borg episode it doesn't really tell you anything other than that um but maybe that's enough uh you know to kind of pique your interest um a couple of episodes down i've got ashes to ashes now i assume this is dust to dust rather than fun to funky although it's a fairly uh, funky episode a bit of an odd one this is the one where um this this uh woman mysteriously comes back who they think has died comes back to life um as an alien and and, and claims she was always an alien or something and the aliens try to well no, maybe she doesn't claim she was always an alien maybe the, the aliens sort of say she's no longer the person that she was and they've sort of reconfigured her into an alien or whatever it's 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 quite a strange one but um obviously you know a reference to the kind of funeral uh whatever you call it you know the 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 words of the kind of of the funeral service um and this sense that for her she's not she's not turned to ashes she hasn't turned to dust she's kind of been reborn somehow yeah i think the the race that sort of bring you know seemingly bring her back the the kobali they alter the DNA of dead individuals of other races to help them reproduce. So it's like an interesting, weird sort of combination of death and life. 
And I suppose the funereal title works in that sense. It, it certainly, it's not very innovative, but it, it, it gives you a picture of what this is roughly going to be about, which is death, you know, or rebirth and that kind of thing. So yeah, it is a, it is a, it is a little bit odd. I don't know if it's really. Well, could they have come up with something slightly more off the wall, maybe? But, you know, it works, doesn't it, really? Next up after that, in the next episode, is Child's Play. Now, obviously, we're not <laughs> here thinking of the psychopathic uh, dolls. Chucky. Um, but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's a weird, it's a weirdly, I, I suppose it's one of those um, titles that is kind of ironically innocent sounding in that it evokes the idea of children. And actually, the episode is quite a dark one. This is the one where we discover that Icheb's parents have basically been trying to use him to damage the Borg in, in some way. He's been kind of used as a weapon. Um, I suppose there's something there that he's the child and he's the kind of play. Do you know what I mean? They've got a play there and he's um, he's being used as part of their play or their ploy or, or something, rather than, you know, the idea of something being, child's play being incredibly easy. It doesn't seem that it's actually particularly easy. It's more that it's a... Uh, it's a sort of stratagem. Yeah. Do you think also they want, they all always try and think of titles for episodes around sort of children characters that evoke childhood as well. I, th- I think of things, some, the one I always think of is, is imaginary friend in um, the next, next generation, which I always remember being quite haunting to me when I was a kid, there was just something about that episode that haunted me a little uh, so yeah, it's just I think that's part of it as well. They you're right in that probably the, the deeper meaning for this episode, but I think they also just try and give that immediate sort of recognition. Okay, this is going to be about kids. This is going to be about you know in this case the Borg kids. You know by the time we're in Voyager. So I think it's like an easy sort of shorthand for the audience. It's weird though. It's you know this is not an episode about the younger children. This is about Echeb, who's kind of. Well, I don't know how old he is. He's like late teens or something. Do you yeah, know what I mean? he's yeah. not really a child. He's not I a suppose. child. I mean, he's mm. these. He is the child in the story. Uh, he's the child of these of these people. Uh, but it's it's not really a, a story about children as such. It's more about. Um, I suppose it's more about the parents, to be honest. Um, after that, we have Good Shepherd. Uh, now, Janeway explains. Um, in this episode, I think the parable of the good shepherd. I don't think she mentions the good shepherd in the Bible is Jesus. So Janeway is basically Jesus in this episode, <laughs> just as far as, as far as we can see. Um, and, and, and in the parable, the good shepherd lays down their life for their sheep. Now, Janeway doesn't have to quite go that far in this episode. She seems to be, she seems to be taking it a bit more literally as like the good shepherd kind of goes and takes care of their sheep and makes sure they've, you know, got enough grass to eat and, you, you know, they, got some shelter and all this sort of thing and their their needs are being met and they're happy um but it did just strike me when you if you think of Janeway as Jesus laying down her life for her sheep or whatever um Janeway is probably the most self-sacrificial uh Starfleet captain that we meet I mean all the Starfleet captains at some point have to do something incredibly brave and heroic and, and so on but she is repeatedly quite willing to go down with the ship to kind of you know take the do you know what I mean to be the one who kind of sacrifices themselves to the extent that it sometimes it seems almost a little bit of a not a character flaw exactly but it, it, it you sort of like wonder why is she so quick to to jump to do this if you know what I mean there's that episode um fairly early episode where the Cardassian weapon uh ends up in the Delta Quadrant and is gonna 
you know, start attacking some planet. Yeah. And Janeway says, well, I'll stay on Voyager and, you know, crash it into this thing or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, she she seems more than willing to, uh, <laughs> you know, to put herself in that situation. Somewhere. Maybe she's just sick of the life in the Delta Quadrant, you know, and she's like, I've had enough of this. Like, <laughs> give, me, yeah. give me a reason to get out of here. But yeah, I, excuse, I, right? yeah I, I, this, I'm very unfamiliar generally, really, with this era of Voyager, the latter era of Voyager. But this is one I rewatched relatively recently as part of the run up to Lower Decks. And in this, there is a point where she's telling them, you know, get into the escape pods, you get out of there. And she's essentially willing to, you know, in theory, give her life up for these, you know, junior crewmen, you know, um, but then they refuse to go, you know, and that's all part of the, the, so there is some element of that definitely, as you're saying that she's, you know, that, that kamikaze aspect of Janeway, maybe, that she's just ready to, you know, throw... Well, I suppose it's just her nobility, isn't it? You know, she is that very noble, self-sacrificial captain, and mm. that's, that is what makes her, you know, a really interesting character, I guess. Followed up by the sort of antithesis of that, really, in the, the fake Janeway in the next episode, Live Fast and Prosper. Now, obviously, this is, uh, uh, you know, a sort of in reference to the idea of Live Long and Prosper, but Live Fast is also, uh, when I looked it up, um, I think a reference to live fast and die young, um, yeah. which is a saying. And I, and I think the title of a, a popular novel as well, obviously dying young being the opposite of living long uh, as the Vulcans encourage you to do. So I suppose these two, almost these two mottos being sort of smashed together uh, as a kind of emblem of this, um, you know, the fraud at the heart of this storyline. It's a weird title though, I think. It really is mashing two things together that are very, very strange. So I, I've always, I've always looked at this title. I've always thought, that, does that even work? Live fast and prosper. You know, it's not even like live, you know, short and prosper. You know, like instead of live long and prosper. Do you know what I mean? It's like a real. I don't. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that title. <laughs> I think it's it's, it's just it's like the idea of the con artist, isn't it? Who's going to live? Yeah. A, you know, live a fast life. You know, kind of getting everything they want and kind of making the most of everything and prospering financially. I, I suppose that's, that's the other thing is sort of double meaning in terms of what do you mean by prosper? They they're looking to prosper financially rather than when Spock says it, we sort of imagine he means you know almost spiritually or, you, you know, achieve what's important to you and, and do great works and so on, um, as opposed to, you know, material prosperity. A couple of episodes down from that. Uh, well, well, interesting, we, we have two, two episodes back to back, two, two very short titles, Muse and Fury. I don't have a huge amount to say about Muse, except that I think it's a lot better than the DS9 episode. The Muse. <laughs> it's um, not hard, but they obviously it? didn't feel they, they really needed a new title. Fury, I think is an interesting one because obviously Kess is very angry, but I also think there's maybe an idea there of the Furies, the Arrhenias, who were these kind of avenging demons in Greek mythology. Um, and I think Kess does sort of, return you know with her superpowers and she's smashing the ship to pieces she and she is on a kind of mission of vengeance um that in some ways does sort of to me slightly tie in with this kind of supernatural you know rage-filled uh avenging monsters almost somehow mm. there is also a film called the fury from brian de palma yeah from nine from 1978 starred kirk, kirk douglas um, John Cassavetes, quite a decent cast actually. And it was uh, based on a novel. Uh, and it was about 
CIA sort of psychic experiments and a young boy with a psychic power and it's telekinesis ah, okay. and oh, right. an ESP and this okay. kind of thing. I haven't seen it. I've heard it's very good. You could be more on the money there, Tony, than me in that So, case. mate, that, it, that, well, that is a, a, probably a stronger link then than the, it, the Greek mythology. But could be know. a mix of both, though, really. It could be a mix. It, I, I think, I think it, it might, for some people, have bring connotations of both of those things, really. Is this a Bran and Braga episode? Because if so, I feel like that's a far more likely, a far more likely reference. He, well, he he came up with the story with Rick Berman, apparently. Ah, uh, okay, fine. So, right, there you go. Could be. Sort of sticking with that theme, a couple of episodes down, we've got The Haunting of Deck 12. Now, this, I suppose, is a real sort of classic horror movie title. You know, you've got mm. The Haunting of Hill House. We've got The Haunting of Bly Manor, yeah. which I haven't seen, but everyone else seems to be watching at the moment on Netflix. <laughs> um, you know, it's sort of tying into a kind of a sort of real classic genre of the sort of haunted house uh, creepy story, um, which, of course, is exactly what the episode is about. I really like it. It's nice to see a title like this. In fact, I watched House on Haunted Hill not so long back, the 1950s Mm -hmm. film with uh, Vincent Price doing his, you know, Vincent Price thing. But it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's good. It's nice and evocative. I don't know if Trek very often sort of plays with the, the sort of gothic sort of hammer or, you know, classic sort of schlocky titles in this way. I know you've got things like Bride of Chaotica and that thing that are playing on stuff, but it's nice to see something that's a little bit more (laughs) B-movie, you know, I guess, Mm -hmm. in that way. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's cool. I like it. Um, A couple of episodes down, we've got Imperfection, uh, another one of these Borg episodes that I suppose tips its hand with with the title, Interesting question. I, I suppose you, you know there's a, there's a, I suppose an imperfection in Seven's uh, whatever it is her, her implants or whatever. But is there kind of a sense that you, you know each being willing to do anything to save her is that an imperfection? Is that a kind? Of, it seems to me like it's a sort of perfectly. I was going to say human. He's not human, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a sort of perfectly kind of human thing to do somehow. Um, imperfection makes it sound like this is about a problem, and actually this yeah. seems like being about something quite noble and uh you know positive in a way sort of very very starfleet Mm, well these well these borg episodes are all about that aren't they they're always trying to unpick the human aspect of the borg experience that sort of on shows how cold and clinical and horrible being a borg is so yeah it makes sense Mm. yeah what you're saying definitely um a little bit further down the list, we've got Critical Care. Clara and I talked about this one back at the start of the previous lockdown. I think there's a little bit of a double meaning there insofar as, yes, it's about critical care or what we would call intensive care in this country. Um, but it's also an episode that is very critical of the care system in America. So I, I sort of wonder if there's a little hint of a, a kind of dig there in the title somehow. Like this is a this is a critique in a sense uh, in a Star Trek episode. A little bit of shade. I'd tell you what, though, I'd say I'd say to anyone, if you haven't gone back and listened to your and Clara's conversation about that, it was fantastic. So it's really you really unpick you know, all of the detail in this one. So, yeah, you'll get all your all your interesting, you know, stuff about this episode in that one. This is followed by a sequence of episodes, um, which I think have some slightly puzzling titles in a way. We've got Inside Man, Body and Soul, and then, skipping one for a moment, Flesh and Blood. Now, first of all, Body and Soul and Flesh and Blood sound almost like they should be a two-parter. <laughs> uh, yeah. Somehow, but they're not. Um, Inside Man, I actually, this is one of those ones, I mean, like you, I'm not, necessarily so familiar with this era of Voyager. I haven't watched a lot of these episodes for good, you know, four years now since the uh, 50th anniversary. I went back and watched 
the whole lot. Um, I actually assumed Inside Man was the one where the Doctor is uh, inside Seven of Nine, and is the, is is which is actually the following episode, Body and Soul. Now, I think Inside Man would be a better title for that episode. Inside Man is actually the one where there's this kind of fake Barclay hologram and the Ferengi are using him on Voyager. Um, but it's just a sort of weird sense that these that episode could almost be, you know, transferred to the to the following week's episode. And then so you've got Body and Soul, which is the one about the Doctor and Seven, um, and this idea that the Doctor kind of yeah, we get Jerry Ryan doing her kind of Robert Picardo impersonation. And then we get Flesh and Blood, which is the one about the hologram. Again, a sort of hologram story. This is the holograms that are being uh, kind of used by the Herogen, you know, in the same way as in the killing game. We saw the crew being used by the Herogen. Just a sort of strange, I don't know, collection there, a little cluster there that where I think the episode titles feel like they're quite tied into each other somehow. Yeah, and it's weird because they're not... In terms of plot, really, I suppose. And and at the same time, though, they're fairly anodyne. You know, they don't really give you a lot of... They don't really evoke a lot, to be fair. And it's a bit like, well... Again, could you have come up with... You know, I think a far more interesting two-part title for the Herogen story is The Killing Game that we had a few seasons ago. You know, that that that's much more interesting than Flesh and Blood. So well, what does that tell you, really? Everyone's Flesh and Blood, you know? It's like, yeah, just a little bit... They're all a little bit dull, aren't they, to be honest? Well, I guess if you're a hologram, you're not Flesh and Blood. So there's at least... I mean, that's sort of the... Yeah, I suppose. The, the, the contrast that's being drawn there. But yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. It doesn't really, it doesn't really sell it. No. Um, the other episode just sort of in between those two is Nightingale. Now this is the episode where Harry Kim ends up in charge of a ship, um, transporting vaccines, I think. So I sort of assume, although the ship is called the Nightingale, I think, which is why the episode is called that, but I assume there's kind of a Florence Nightingale reference there in that, in that supposedly they're on this mission of medical, uh, mercy. Although I think, as I say, I haven't seen this one for a while. I have a feeling that it turns out to be otherwise. I think he does name the ship after Florence Nightingale. Yeah. So, oh, does he? Yeah, does he say that? Himself? I think right, so. Okay, yeah. So that that fits. And it's, you know, it's a nice Fine. title. It's Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Jumping down a little bit, uh, we had the episode Lineage. I love this episode. I think it's a great episode, actually, of of, of Late Voyage. A great Toro's episode. It is quite a grand title for what is basically. It's kind of Star Trek at its most soap opera, I think, this episode. Although it involves a bit of kind of sci-fi shenanigans and so on, it, it's really a very soapy story, you know, going back to Belana's childhood and, and you know, where some of her issues have come from and so on. I mean, I think it's done brilliantly. I think it's it's, it's done really well. It's a very moving episode. But um, calling it lineage sort of makes it sound very formal somehow uh, for what is ultimately such a personal episode. I think it's a strange choice in a way. Mm, yeah, it gets to the knob, I suppose, of of what the episode's about. But yeah, again, mm. could, have, could, could have created something far more evocative. Yeah, definitely. A couple of episodes down, another uh, Torres episode, uh, again, about the baby prophecy. Uh, this is one that feels very much like it could have been a DS9 title. I mean, we had in DS9 Destiny, now we've got Prophecy. And in some ways, it's quite a sort of DS9 story, really. You know, is this child the subject of this, uh, you know, great religious, um, significance or, or not? and yeah, exactly. And, and ultimately, does that all turn out to be a little bit 
kind of malleable to some extent. <laughs> I quite like that episode of the, of the that aspect of the episode where the Klingon is like, yeah, you know, we can sort of massage this a little bit uh, depending on uh, what we need it to mean. But um, another good episode, I think. Jumping ahead, I think we're going to skip over workforce, uh, which I have very little to say about. <laughs> it's very um, dull. The, the episode after that is Human Error. Now, this is a weird one. I think this is the episode where Seven of Nine uh, makes her fake Chakotay on the holodeck to yeah. practice dating and, and, and so on. It's a very unromantic title, uh, calling it Human Error. And also sounds very negative. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You kind of imagine Human Error would be about some kind of tragedy that occurred because someone ejected the wrong pod or... Do you know what I mean? Like... Uh, uh, there'd be sort of guilt and recrimination and, and drama and, and all that sort of thing. Whereas this is actually, you, you know, okay, sort of bittersweet in the way that they often are, but is basically a kind of romance episode. Uh, so I, I find it a slightly odd choice. I don't know what you think. Yeah, it's it feels actually quite like a Next Generation title, this, Human Era. There's just something about that mm. that reminds me of that era. But yeah, it's it could be a data episode. It could be a data true. episode, yeah. And I, th- I think, like in theory, or right, know. exactly. And I think it's quite a clinical. That's the thing. A lot of these titles they seem quite clinical when you have episodes that are, you know, in theory, supposed to be quite emotional, and they're quite dry clinical titles. And that's that's strange in a way. You know, I, I don't know if they were just afraid to be a little bit more emotive i think with some of this i guess that's often maybe that is the tendency as well i mean when we were looking at the early seasons of voyager it was all about the science titles you know mm. parallax and and uh words like that you know words that we have to go and look up in the kind of scientific dictionary i know what you mean there is i mean there is a tendency for star trek episode titles to be a little bit a little bit detached i suppose somehow e- you know either they go in the kind of real flowery sort of original series ds9 titles that are, are kind of very kind of artsy and, and and strange or or they're very or they're kind of very bold and descriptive or they're kind of a little bit sort of terse a little bit kind of cool um in that sort of sci-fi way i suppose uh which mm. i guess you could say in a way about the next one q2 i mean this is the one with q's son there's two q's it's called q2 it kind of does what it says on the tin it doesn't really attempt uh it certainly doesn't reach mm. the heights of the q and the gray which i said last time i think is my favorite q episode yeah my favorite q episode but my favorite title title uh but it's you know it's perfectly uh you know it's a q episode it kind of makes the point you you even know which q episode it is uh which is helpful yeah. which is not always the case with <laughs> you, you know with some of them deja q or i don't know hiding q or whatever yeah you could be forgiven for mixing those ones up at least this one it kind of um it, it gives you enough of a clue to remember yeah. which q episode you're you're dealing with you get the gist <laughs> um followed by author author this is a slightly controversial episode for various reasons i think in terms of the title uh it's quite a clever title very much like tinker tenor uh dr spy here we have basically a doctor doctor joke with author author uh where the word doctor is not in the title but the the comma and the repetition makes you think of a doctor do you know what i mean it's like it's 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 quite Mm. cleverly done in that way yeah yeah it is good it's it's there's something quite lyrical about it as well, which I which I like. I think it. I think it's it's again. It's quite playful. It's funny how they have these kind of titles 
for this character. Actually, it feels like they can be a bit more playful and whimsical. Actually, which I, which which is which is interesting. They don't it doesn't feel like they can do that with a lot of the other characters. You know. That is an interesting point, yeah. I mean, obviously the Doctor, particularly towards the end of Voyager, we do get a lot of Doctor episodes. Uh, We're going to have another one in a minute. But you're right, there is a kind of... um, They can have fun with him, I suppose. Mm, uh, mm. More so than than maybe some of the other characters where, you know, if you think of, well, like I say, you know, Bilana Toro's episodes, they they seem to get quite kind of heavy, serious uh, titles. And and to be fair, they're they're serious episodes. They're not generally knockabout comedies, whereas the Doctor can sort of do both. The next one I had here was Homestead, just because I think it's an interesting choice of word because it it really brings us back to the Delta Quadrant as this sort of Wild West uh, environment, which is kind of where we started at, you know, seven years earlier. And obviously picking up with Neelix and, and the Talaxians and so on, there is a sense, although, although they're not literally going back, of kind of finding him a way of jumping ship. You know, we sort of assumed that past about season three or something there's that episode where he says he's beyond the you know the known space of the talaxians or whatever yeah that he's kind of left all that behind now he's sort of found a way of of coming back to it and he's and they picked a word that sort of evokes very much that sort of feeling that we had you know even going back all the way to caretaker of star trek as the space western once again and the delta quadrant in particular as this kind of wild uh you know wild west environment i think also though it's sort of can, it sort of lays the track for the fact that home is coming. Like, you know, that we're getting towards the end. And that's true. You, yeah. you know, you've, and you found that with a, with a lot, pretty much since season six, through season six and especially season seven, they've been really laying the track for Endgame in many ways, you know, with all the Barkley and Deanna Troy episodes and all this kind of thing. There's been much more of a deliberate lean into Earth, to the Starfleet, to home than there ever was towards the beginning of Voyager. So maybe this is just really trying to sell the point that, you know, these characters are going home and Neelix obviously is the first one who, you know, it, it does in a way. This is a <laughs> this is him going home in a way, even if he's, you know, miles away from where he started. Although it's interesting because a homestead is, I mean, obviously it is a home, but it's not, when they talk about going home, they talk about going back to where they came from. Do you know what I mean? Going yeah. back to Earth, going, you know, in the Wild West analogy, going back uh to europe i suppose ultimately do you know what i mean that's kind of Mm, mm. that's that's almost what's happening there whereas neelix is being left you know he's left in the delta quadrant you know quite a surprising decision in many ways i think not to take him back to the alpha quadrant with them and definitely sort of feels like and i suppose there is that sense towards the end of voyager that they are leaning back into some things from the early years as much as they you know, you're, you're right in saying they look forward to the Alpha Quadrant and kind of laying the groundwork there. But they're also doing things like, you know, bringing back Joe Carey, finally, yeah. just to kill him off. That's true. <laughs> Someone sort of remembers <laughs> that he's, he's still alive. You That's know, true. Just about. I don't know. There's this kind of weird sense of tying up, sort of tying up loose threads, mm. but some of which aren't really even loose threads by this point, but kind of wanting to tie in both directions. Full circle. Uh, a little bit to exactly bring things full circle. Um in a way, I suppose that obviously Next Gen did with all good things. Voyager couldn't quite do that, but they, you know, with episodes like Shattered, for example, and, and you know, other episodes around that time, they're kind of looking for ways to uh, create a sort of, maybe it's a sort of retroactive continuity in a way to kind of create threads that mm. are uh, pulling all the way through the series from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, after Homestead, we get Renaissance Man, which is another one of those Doctor episodes. Now, 
this one again should have been called Inside. I mean, if they were going to use the word <laughs> title Inside Man, I, I don't know. I I do kind of feel they used it on the wrong episode. This one actually makes even more sense than Body and Soul. This is the one where the Doctor is impersonating everyone um, and is the kind of Inside Man on Voyager. Basically, uh, they couldn't use that once they called him Renaissance Man. Slightly odd, I suppose. The Doctor is kind of a Renaissance Man insofar as he's interested in opera and etc. But um, I don't know. I find it a slightly odd, especially an odd choice to use that term in a show where Leonardo da Vinci is actually a recurring character, <laughs> you know, and, and yet this is a story about the Doctor being referred to in this way. I don't know. It, it seems a slightly odd title to me. I, I always wonder if it's a nod to the maybe lesser known film now, but the Danny DeVito comedy Renaissance Man. Um, from <laughs> 1994, um, and he because he, he, he was a, he was like an advertising executive, and he's a bit of a huckster, and then he ends up um, teaching literacy to U.S. Army cadets. It's not a complete like you know parallel with the uh, the, the story in, in the episode Renaissance Man, but you know the both both have a common thread about someone who's basically you know chanting their arm. I suppose you know he's trying to be a bit. I don't know. I'm, maybe maybe I just immediately. I always remember that being advertised on Sky Movies when I was a kid. <laughs> I've never seen it, but right. I just yeah, always yeah. remember it being advertised. So I don't know. I don't maybe- think I've ever seen it, but I know I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. It could be, could be a link to that. Who knows? Who can say? Yeah. Okay, and then that is the penultimate episode of Voyager. Weirdly, so Ooh. followed by endgame mm. not i think a reference to either the avengers or the samuel <laughs> beckett play as far as i know but i assume like both of those uh taken from chess i think originally is where is where the term endgame comes from it's kind of the the final uh you know moment the fi- the final one well, i can't think how to describe a chess match you, you know it's the final bit of the chess match basically where the the last decisions are being taken and someone discovers that they're royally screwed uh basically as the board queen does um in this instance but it's interesting that it's a title you know nowadays it's been so sort of eclipsed by the avengers uh endgame i suppose that that's the reference point that people think of when this voyager episode came out i guess maybe it was the beckett play if it was anything and i don't know to what extent that really plays into anything but i I suppose it's interesting that it's it's very different from if you think of all good things what you leave behind they're quite kind of thoughtful they're quite sort of um you you know there's a sense of reflection looking back on the past a sense of loss in both of those you know all good things come to an end and what you leave behind you, you know sort of sadness voyager doesn't go for that weirdly for a show that is so nostalgic you know, it's kind of has nostalgia baked into it insofar as they're far from home and they want to get back to, to where they were before. It's not called Homecoming or something like that, which might be what you would expect. Right. It's called Endgame. You know, it's leaning into the strategy. It's leaning into the kind of scheming. It's leaning into the... Yeah, it's strange. The, strat- the strategic uh, decision that the older Janeway is making. It's a weird way of, of framing this kind of final moment of the series, I think. And in some ways, I think it's a, it's a slightly odd finale because it's so much about this plot and so little about the kind of bigger story of the crew getting home uh, hence you know people always complaining or well, we don't get to see them on earth we don't get to see what that's like whereas ds9 you know the war wraps up about halfway through their finale and then the rest of it is all kind of tying up loose ends and sending people on their way and so on um i don't know it's a kind of it's a it's a, a slightly odd choice for how to end the series, I think, and it's a slightly odd choice for what to call it as well. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think it, it 
it's quite a ubiquitous title, though. I mean, I, Endgame has been used. I mean, I whenever when that first came on, I immediately thought there was a, there's an X Files episode called Endgame, which was in, in its second season. Um, there won't be any link there, really, but it's just a title that has been used as an episode of Alias called Endgame, and they're not necessarily like you know episodes at the end of seasons. You know, they just happen to be part, and often there they do lean into something that's either a conclusive aspect or yeah part of a, a a strategy and it feels like well i think i think it's telling that um kirsten byer's sequel sort of non-canonical voyager novel the first one was called homecoming you know and i think that's i think that i don't made- think that was kirsten byer i think that was Kristen oh, golden you're right you're Wasn't right it? i think she did a couple yes kirsten byer, though interestingly hers are called full circle aren't they i think is that, yeah is that what the first that's right. one's called yeah it's full yeah. circle which full is circle which again sort of links to this idea of tying a but you, you know bringing it all together kind of all good things kind of bringing it all together that would have worked um, i don't full, know full circle would have been a good title as well yeah you are right there it was christy golden you're absolutely right and, and it's yeah i think full circle homecoming they would have been far more fitting titles for a for a, a film you know a story that's all about them going back to where they they'd come from it's i, I think maybe they wanted something with end, called it in terms of endgame with drama impact you know maybe they thought that that was you know an exciting title endgame you know it's the suggestion of something huge and and that that was the case before avengers used endgame although ironically i i think avengers endgame is quite a boring title for that film you know i think they could i thought infinity war was a far more interesting title and i think i would have preferred them to have infinity war part two quite honestly which was i think the original idea that it was going to be two you know that yeah i think that's far more interesting than endgame it's always struck me as a fairly sort of monolithic bush there it is title there's not much nuance to it you know so no i agree i think they could have been as as has been the case through all of these voyager episodes we've talked about today they could have been more inventive frankly it's kind of um telling you in no uncertain terms this is the last episode isn't yeah. it? which i think is the case you know with the avengers as well i mean i know obviously there are more avengers movies and that's just the end of that that sort of sequence but at the same time it is kind of, it is an ending it is yeah, a, definitely you know a kind mm. of finale of sorts yeah. um it just strikes me looking uh, again on wikipedia the end game is the stage of the game when few pieces are left on the board in particular pawns become more important as, as end games often revolve around attempting to promote a pawn by advancing it to the eighth rank i suppose it that fits with the mood of the avengers end game i think because there's this sense well you get that bit at the end don't you where it's just captain america all on his own and, th- and then the kind of reinforcements come in in that kind of iconic moment but I suppose that sense of it being, and maybe in the Voyager, I guess it's just Janeway and the Borg Queen by the end of it, isn't it? And, you know, mm. two queens, essentially. Mm. There is a kind of, maybe there is a kind of chess metaphor uh, going on there. Uh, yeah. the two queens kind of squaring off against each other. Perhaps, yeah. But anyway, that brings us to an end of Voyager. And straight on, I guess, uh, you know, without the, the, the year's break that Brandon Braga wanted to have a bit of a rest and get his, head around what was happening next we go straight into enterprise um with broken bow this i think is a very strange title for a uh season for a series premiere i mean we had you know encounter at far point sounds quite sort of mysterious far point sort of going out there we had emissary which you know led into this whole big uh thing with these god characters where caretaker i suppose sounds quite mundane but once we realize that it's this god that can fling you around the universe 
uh, sounds quite grand. Broken Bow is, it's very earthbound for a start, which I suppose makes sense because this is the show that, you know, Braga famously wanted to spend a whole season on Earth before they even left, which I think would have been very interesting. But so it's named after, it's not named after, you know, going off after the Suliban and going off and, or taking the Klingon to Kronos or, you, you know, any of this kind of sci-fi stuff. It's named after this place in Oklahoma. It's also got a weird kind of idea. I think if you think of a broken bow, I, th- I, th- I think the, the broken bow in America is named for a, you know, like a, a Native American's bow that was discovered somewhere when a, when a particular place was, you know, founded or whatever. Um, but I find it can't help making you think of, you know, a bow is meant to fire something into the air and this one is broken, so it can't do that. And that is kind of the story that we're being given with the humans and the Vulcans, that the humans are ready to fly and the Vulcans have broken their bow. Do you know what I mean? The Vulcans are holding them back. They're kind of stopping them from soaring off into the sky. So I don't know whether that's a sort of deliberate echo there, but it's quite a sort of, it's quite a sort of downbeat sounding title, if you know what I mean. It doesn't sound heroic or grand or exciting or, uh, you know, adventurous at all. It sounds quite kind of depressing, really. You know, something that's broken, something that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and like you say, it's very, it's very, American earthbound kind of type. I mean, I, I quite like it actually. I mean, to, to be fair, I think this, maybe it's been eclipsed by the Vulcan Hello, which I think is very good, but this for a long time has been my favorite Star Trek pilot actually. Um, cause I, I think, I think it's a cracking episode. I don't, I don't think this, the rest of the season really lives up to it for the most part, but I think, I think it's a really good opening episode, a couple of episodes. So I quite like the title, but I, I, and I think there's a good, I think there's a good metaphor for it there in terms of the humans and the Vulcans, but I know, I know what you mean. It is a little bit downbeat. It doesn't have the thrust of, uh, or the power of something like emissary, the mysticism, which fits very well with DS9. Caretaker, I always found was a bit Dull. I, I, I never really, I mean, obviously it references a thing in the story, but again, I think you could have had something far more interesting, you know, and, and, and mysterious for Voyager's pilot episode title. So I think in, in that encounter at Farpoint's good, you know, even though the episode's shonky, the, 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 the title of that is good. So I think like, yeah, you know, Broken Bow, it's, it's not maybe as good a title as the episode itself, <laughs> actually, which is, which is rare. <laughs> Maybe the pilots, the the quality of the episodes is sort of inversely proportional to the quality of the titles. <laughs> Could <somehow>. be, yeah, <laughs> maybe. Know, I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, that's followed up by fight or flight. I think this is the episode where Hoshi is is terrified of everything. So I guess you know, the fight or flight. <laughs> yeah, sort of a, a double mean, You know, flight as in space flight, but it's also fight or flight is what you do when you're terrified. Um, so it's a kind of that's quite a nice little pun there. Then we get strange new world. Now this is the first of these kind of Star Trek. I don't know what you'd call them, you know, referencing Star Trek's own vernacular in a way, or Star Trek's own language. Uh, a couple of episodes down, we're going to have civilization, which obviously is a reference to the new, you know, new lives and new civilizations, uh, new life and new civilizations. Strange New World obviously is also about to be, or Strange New Worlds is also about to be the name of the Pike show. So it's one right. that's even kind of, um, you know, being picked up on again. But it's interesting that Enterprise in in being this prequel, one of the ways that it kind of signals its prequelness is by tapping into this kind of language of Star Trek, you know, going right mm. back to the 1960s and naming its episodes after these kind of um, phrases that are so familiar by now. Even yeah. though until the final episode, we're never going to actually hear them spoken in Enterprise. No, no. 
it's but that again it's sort of similar to what i said about the collective in in voyager it's playing on audience recognition at this point you know it's been around that long enterprise is a show that's got one eye very much on the original series. You know, I mean, there's an argument that all of the Star Trek sequels want to be that first show in many ways. They, they're always trying to find some alchemy that gets them to it in a way. And Enterprise is particularly in that vein. It really, really, in its own way, wants to be a bit of the like the 60s show so but i think i think it's great to use this i mean the, the i quite like this this episode i think these are these some of these early episodes of, of enterprise are trying to sort of really pull everything back and give us that sense of mystery and uncertainty to this universe you know that we've never really seen before so i think using this it's it's a not it's a nice title it does there's, there's a there's a level of enigma and sweep to a title like this so yeah i'm glad i'm glad they used it and like you say it's it makes i think that the naming a, a pike enterprise show strange new worlds is, is excellent i think that's a great that's a great choice for a title of a show so yeah it's really good um well interesting you should talk about the the unknown and so on because the next episode is unexpected uh but not really i i, I think i mean this is a pretty cheap pun i guess insofar as we say someone's expecting when they are having a baby this is an unexpected uh expectation if you know what i mean insofar as trip certainly wasn't expecting it um i don't know uh, not a great episode but perfectly serviceable pun for a title i think yeah it's a bit cheeky isn't it (laughs) but you know you get you get the point um The next one I wanted to pull up was the Andorian incident. This is very much an original series sounding episode. I mean, we had the Enterprise incident, obviously, um, and we've had various other incidents and, uh, you know, whatever, the something dilemma and the this, you know, equation. And I don't know, it's that kind of classic, (laughs) classic sort of sci-fi formula. Uh, But here it's the Andorian incident. Great episode, great title as well. Followed by Breaking the Ice. This is a bit of a creaky pun in my opinion. I mean, we've got the Vulcans, you know, are we sort of breaking the ice with the Vulcans and this sort of thawing of, of relations to some extent or, or, you know, or are they? Um, and then we've got, they're literally on a comet that's covered in ice. Uh, <laughs> the ice is breaking up and so on. I don't know. It's like, to me, it's that, that, that goes, I mean, the thing about puns, you know, I like a good pun, but I suppose that if they get too cringy, then, um, I switch off, which is slightly how I think I was feeling about Enterprise in first run by this point was, <laughs> you know, the kind of the puns weren't helping necessarily. No. Well, certainly this one wasn't. No, it's a bit on the nose, isn't it? I think it's, it's that whole thing of Enterprise. It's that the problem with it is that it very quickly starts to become a little bit of, if not quite self parody, then it starts to become a little bit of a, you know, a shadow of, better things and i think you know a title like this you'd ne- i don't think it would have got past i mean it might i don't i think it's too like cheeky to have been a voyager title because that like we said they were quite clinical but i don't think you would have got this into ds9 you know they were far more inventive for instance with their titles you know so yeah it's a bit shonk it's a bit honky and a bit okay you can get away with unexpected because it's almost like a little cheeky twist but yeah this is a little bit much <laughs> <laughs> A little bit much, even for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Then, then we have Civilization, which I mentioned earlier, followed by Fortunate Son. Um, now, it, I, I thought this was strange just because there's a Voyager episode called Favourite Son, and I've always got these two mixed up in my head and can't remember which is which. This is the one, the ship is called the Fortunate, and it's and it's about Travis, I think, so he's the son. 
favourite son, I only realised when I was looking up this episode, I sort of glided over it when we were doing Voyager episodes, but favourite son is a reference to a term in American politics, which I think is what Harry in that Voyager episode is sort of, uh, is, 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 because he's being claimed by this alien species. And the, the idea of a favourite son is, I think, a politician who's sort of back in their, in their own, you know, where they grew up. Um, which, you know, we heard recently in the, uh, election, coverage you know about biden going back to i can't even remember what state he he grew up in or whatever but the, the kind of significance of, of you know the kind of coming home and so on i also always think of and there may be no connection but i always always think of the song by credence clearwater revival called fortunate son which was from the late from 1969 i love the one of my favorite bands uh and it was a very much a, an anti-war anthem so it was all about you know counterculture and the u.s uh, involvement in, in Vietnam War. It's a, a pretty famous song for that ilk, really. And I don't know necessarily if there's a big connection here, but I always just, I don't know if they had that in the back of their minds as well as everything you were saying. Possibly. It's a great that, song, I think either makes, way. That makes a lot of sense. Since <laughs> that I had not, I'm not familiar with that song and I completely missed that. My apologies. Yeah. Okay. And also, I don't know whether I'm thinking, when I say it's about the sun, I'm, maybe I'm thinking of the other episode where Travis goes to his parents' ship, which is actually called something else, Horizon or something, isn't it? I think. Oh, yeah. Season what, two, What I is think? this one? This is, I'm mixing up two. There is a link between them, I think. It's another one of these, like, early Earth ships, but this is the Fortunate. The Fortunate, yeah. This is the where there are a, a Norsicans. by Norsicans. Yeah. And who's the son then? I don't know. I have to say, I don't think I remember this episode well enough to, <laughs> to say with any certainty whether there's a son in it. But um, you know, someone will have watched it. More I can't remember. Have, uh, mm. And and but yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think the song must be the reference point here. Um, although Memory Alpha does not, you, you could go and add that um, helpfully to the Memory Alpha page, maybe because it's not. Uh, <laughs> maybe uh, not coming up trumps this time. Um, the next episode after that is Cold Front. Uh, now, this is one of the Temporal Cold War episodes, I think. And there's quite a few of them that have a front. There's like Stormfront. There's, are there other fronts? I can't remember. I, I have to say, I get all the Temporal Cold War episodes mixed up in my head with the <laughs> titles. But, um, this is certainly one of them. Uh, obviously, I suppose a reference to the weather originally, but, um, yeah, I quite like that it has the word "cold" in there since we're dealing with a cold war. I think I think it's this this one works quite well for me. I, I think that's what they're going for, aren't they? Definitely, they go they're going for this idea of you know introducing the temporal cold war. Cold front has that. There's there's a you could imagine that being a spy novel name. You know, you could imagine that being so, a, a, a cold war spy thriller. You know, story. So I, I think yeah, I like it. You know, I mean, they, like you say, they're all a little bit. They all sort of combine together in my head, a lot of these, until you get to... Well, actually, even in season three, the only one that really stands out to me is like The Expanse, for obvious reasons. But like, so many of them just blend in my head. Maybe Shockwave as well. But yeah, yeah, it's a good one. It is a good one. Interesting you should mention the Cold War like spy thriller, because the next episode is Silent Enemy. Yeah. uh, Which, to me, makes me think of, of that kind of era. Although, actually... I discovered is a 1958 World War II movie about Italians mining British right. ships. Uh, and then I started thinking, is this the one about the Romulan minefield? 
but it isn't again this is i mean this is kind of showing how i probably need to go and do an enterprise rewatch this is the one about the (laughs) strange aliens who attack and then uh disappear and they never really get to find out who they are it's quite mysterious and sort of strange Mm. in a way um silent enemy is definitely a great title it is uh you know whatever you think of the episode And, and and definitely it does feel like it's sort of tapping into that kind of uh, I, I suppose it is tapping into that kind of wartime uh, mm. mode, if you know what I mean, one way or another. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has you, you, you. you I think of like, I think, I, I think of submarines. I think of that, you know, deep run, exactly, you know, silent yes. running kind of thing. So it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're definitely wanting to give you that vibe of the Enterprise in this unknown, you know, ocean-like vast space territory where the, these mysterious other alien ships are there trying to at- attack. It's, it's good. It's, I think it's quite evocative, definitely. Yeah, it's mm. a good one. Mm. Um, couple of episodes down, we've got Sleeping Dogs. Obviously, Sleeping Dogs, you're supposed to let them lie. This is the yep. episode where there's a Klingon who I think they do not let lie. They wake them up, maybe, and then the Klingon causes trouble. Yeah, um, I yeah. suppose that's the illusion there. Whether the Klingons would be happy being referred to as dogs, I don't know. <laughs> uh, we've had the dogs of war, obviously. Yeah. You know, General Chang was quite happy releasing the dogs of war. Maybe there's a kind of um, a parallel there. But I, I guess just the idea of a, of a sort of um, a threat that can be awakened in a way that you'd expect this to be about some hugely powerful monstrous do you know what i mean like something yeah. like the, the waking up the vardwa the kind of dragon's teeth this is almost yeah. it almost kind of conjures that sort of idea somehow sleeping I dogs th- i think in a way though it fits as a klingon title like there's there's something aggressive about it there's something you know sharp about it and i feel like you know i don't know i know that klingons aren't traditionally called dogs but there is there is a certain you know viciousness about them as a race you know severity so i think something like sleeping dogs it's actually quite a good fling on title for me so yeah jumping down a little bit we have the episode fusion now this is very much kind of voyager style title in the yeah. words yeah. taken out of science it's an interesting one because this is an episode that is about something quite personal and quite um you know you know it's kind of basically a sort of sexual assault allegory really that's going on here but they've gone for this very kind of clinical uh title i suppose you know mind melt is a fusion of minds a fusion of two people uh but maybe the word fusion as well because we think of you know like nuclear fusion and so on it does suggest this idea of both great power but also danger somehow you know there's there's something kind of uh slightly threatening about it which which kind of fits well with this episode in a way mm, I, th- I think it's that uh, again, you know, if, if Sleeping Dogs has a very Klingon aspect, Fusion definitely invo- in, invo- evokes Vulcan. It invokes that sense of warring emotion, you know, that battle within in many ways. I think the battle of the mind as well. You know, I think I, I, I think it's I think it's good. I like it in terms of a, you know, particularly Vulcan, you know, leaning episode and 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 involving that yeah emotional battle yeah it it it's it's weird because it it should be bland but there's something interesting about it <laughs> actually more than some of those other voyager episodes we talked about unlike the next one i have which is acquisition <laughs> now i don't really think this episode tells us anything except that we're doing the ferengi yeah. bizarrely on enterprise yeah. and i don't think the episode itself uh, offers anything other than no. we're doing the ferengi bizarrely on enterprise it's so totally disposable 
kind of pointless episode but the title does tell you we're doing a Ferengi episode but that's it that's it that's but that's exactly the thing it's a title for Star Trek fans and that's it you know it, the only yeah. people who are going to know what that means are Star Trek fans it's, it's for nobody else which I suppose is the point you know I guess that they're at this point now where they're like okay well we're giving them what they want but at the same time the whole point of the whole point of Enterprise but it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be doing this stuff anymore you know it wasn't supposed to be doing nods to DS9 or Next Generation. It was supposed to be charting its own course. So for within the first season to be doing a... a, a to do a, a Ferengi episode that brings back all of the all of the actors almost who played Ferengi in the past is just like, oh, come on. Come on, guys. You can do... You can be more inventive than this. It's the ultimate lazy episode and it's yeah. the ultimate lazy title, I suppose, is the thing. Followed by an episode which basically just rips off a DS9 episode, Oasis. This is the one where they, mm. they redo Shadow Play. And apparently, while they were filming it, <laughs> René Aubergenois commented to uh, Scott Butler, I think, oh, you know, you know, we did this episode you know, a few years ago. And he was a bit surprised. Um, I'm not sure why it's called Oasis, unless the, maybe the, is there a ship? Is it a crash ship? I can't remember. Maybe that's called the Oasis. It seems to me it's more like a mirage that's being invoked, maybe with these kind of like, you know, imaginary people, are they real? Are they not? I mean, an oasis is actually a real thing. But obviously, I think when you think of an oasis in the desert, it is often a mirage. It's not real. You, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fake oasis, I suppose. Um, maybe that's what they're getting at here. Yeah. Not a particularly interesting episode. I can't remember uh, it at all. One that we, <laughs> we, we, we could have brought it up years ago when we did our Shakespeare episode, because I think it is a kind of another one of the ah. Tempest in fact, okay, yeah. in that it's about the kind of old guy and his daughter, uh, you, you know, stranded somewhere. But um, odd title. Mm. I, I can't help thinking as well of the rather disgusting uh, drinks. That, that yeah. really have, yeah, I, don't know, I don't know if they have them in the States, but oh, Oasis is like, like a sort of a fruity drink. But and, and always, I th- are they free? Is there something? Is that the idea? Because they have some really weird taste that I oh, think is to I think try and make them... That whatever their sweetener is that they use, I, they always oh. make me feel sick. Those they're health free, so, I think. They're just <laughs> devoid of anything they're good. Yeah. <laughs> they're <awful. laughs> sort of pink, weird pink water, yeah. basically. Next up, slightly more interesting one, I think, Detained. Mm. Now, this was the episode that I think at the time they said they were inspired more by the Japanese internment camps of World War II. But coming as it did, you know, Enterprise debuted uh, around the same time as 9-11 and obviously, you know, the war on terror and so on. Um, you can't help seeing this episode as a kind of Guantanamo Bay uh, allegory, really. Whether that was the original intention or not, I think that's that's definitely how it plays. And obviously, that was where we kind of got this language of detention and detainees. Uh, you know, they weren't prisoners of war, they were detainees. And I think the title, at least, does seem to deliberately allude to that. Yeah, definitely. You could have called this something like rendition, you know, it's that it's got that same exactly. sort of f- f- vibe to it. Absolutely, yeah. it, it has to be leaning into into that. You know, I mean, Enterprise is very much a show that lives in the shadow of of nine eleven and the war on terror and things like this. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's sort of their first flirtation, I think, with these kind of themes that are going to become more powerful later on in the show's run. I think. Followed by a nice, uh, obscure Latin title, Vox Sola, which means lone <laughs> voice. I mean, Lee and I were talking last time about how Ron Moore was getting ribbed by the Voyager writers for Inter Armour and in Silent Leges. Oh, yeah. Uh, which they just couldn't wrap their heads around. I guess the Vox Sola, again, obviously less wordy, but, um, you know, unless you are, you know, pretty familiar with Latin, you're 
probably going to be slightly puzzled by it. Um, but it's about, it's this episode where Hoshi is trying to communicate with this kind of weird entity that sort of absorbs people and has this kind of group consciousness and so on. So it makes sense as a title. I think it's quite a good title. It feels quite alien. It feels quite strange um, and slightly sinister somehow. And yet maybe appropriately for the average viewer, we don't really know what it means and we have to go and look it up, which I guess is kind of the point of what's happening in the episode, you know, kind of, uh, challenge a communication challenge so maybe it makes sense that it's in another language yeah perhaps i mean give me titles like this any day over you know lineage and you know <laughs> really dull ones like that i'd rather have something like this it's a bit more intriguing well what do you think of two days and two nights this is the the kind of risian mm. romp i can't help thinking of the movie harrison ford movie six yes, days seven nights definitely they, they crash a plane on a kind of desert island somewhere i don't know if that's deliberate i don't know whether that is itself a reference to i couldn't work out a way of googling this is you know is this idea of however many days and however many nights obviously it's something that we we think of when booking holidays it's you know it's a way that holidays are advertised but is there a a film prior to that one uh that that one is riffing on is there a a book i I don't know do you know what i mean Is, is there a reference point going further back than that uh slightly ropey harrison ford movie um or not i'm not sure but anyway that's what it made me think of yeah absolutely same and i think it's to me it feels like it's trying to evoke a sense of romance and maybe slightly more classical adventure in a way than than, and obviously in this it's lovely they go into riser and you know it's much more of that kind of episode a bit like the uh, the DS9 one, Let He Who Is Without Sin, you know, that kind of, or Captain's Holiday, those kind of episodes. And I, so I think I think they're going for that, not whimsy, but that certain sense of let your hair down kind of title, really, compared to some of these others. According to Memory Alpha, Chris Black, uh, who I think wrote this one, said, we mm. wanted to have Archer involved in a little intrigue to put him in an almost Cary Grant-like role from a Hitchcock movie. Yeah. He meets Grace Kelly in the villa next door and she's very mysterious. So that absolutely sort of ties in with that slightly, I suppose it's a little bit kind of old-fashioned, a little bit kind of classic. Uh, yeah, the sort of, I, I, mean, we get, I guess we had it as well, you know, with Captain's Holiday, you know, Picard on Reister and his sort of, I don't know, flirty adventure uh, that he gets there. But um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a, a serviceable title, at least. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, if any listeners are familiar with another uh, reference point for however many days and how many nights that <laughs> we haven't heard of and that Google can't generate for me, let me know. Uh, let us know. I'm interested to hear that. Carbon Creek is an interesting one, I think, just because it's another one of these episodes that's named after a place on Earth. You know, we had Broken Bow. Now we've got Carbon Creek. We're going to have Carpenter Street. These are these quite sort of grounded, I mean, they're literally grounded episodes and they take place on Earth, but they're all named after the place that they take place. Well, a Broken Bow isn't a grounded episode, but, you, you know, they, they evoke that that um, yeah. groundedness to some extent Definitely. Um, in a way that I don't think we get that I can think of elsewhere in Star Trek. I mean, even, you know, when Voyager did an episode on Earth, it was called 1159. It was about the, the moment rather than the place. Uh, I can't think of any other episodes that are about that that are titled so sort of specifically as that. So I think it's an interesting choice anyway. After that, we have Minefield, which I mentioned earlier, uh, which is a pretty um, descriptive title. Then we have Dead Stop, which I think is a great sort of dark pun because uh, obviously they're at a dead stop. They can't go any further. 
but it's also quite sinister you know yeah <laughs> this, this is a yeah. dead stop that may end up killing you uh, so i quite like that one <laughs> yeah it's quite this good. kind of dark slightly horror style episode in a way um it's it's quite nice especially since it's an episode that doesn't start off like that it starts off seeming quite innocent and nice and then it gradually gets more and more sinister i think it's nice that the that the title also has that in there as well it could be a horror title you're right actually it could be a zombie movie <laughs> something like that it could be a zombie yeah. movie it could be you know one of those like your car breaks down on the road yes uh, yeah. do you know what i mean one of those breakdown uh, yeah you know you can imagine thing. exactly like the the the, the the young girl you know the hitcher those kind of, of things exactly the sort of hitcher yeah. yeah exactly all that you know backwoodsy kind of um sort of redneck horror kind of that's yeah 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 then that's followed by a night in sick bay i'm not sure if this is a reference to anything really i suppose it, it has a sort of quite nice kind of cozy feel to it a little bit like you were saying with two days and two nights it, and, and it is a sort of gentle episode i suppose in a way yeah i think rick berman said that it was he wanted to evoke the odd couple between Archer and Flux in this. The uh, oh right, okay. The the classics are Walter Matthau, Jack Lemon. Well, what, what film and then and then TV show by Neil Simon. And it's yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's I quite like the title because it's it's one of the, I think you know what it fit. It reminds if anything, it reminds me more of a Babylon Five title. This it's the kind of title that you could imagine being you know designed as a character it's a character piece that's designed to be a little bit more of a internal you know story but yet one that's just a little bit more playful again in many ways you know and not necessarily as blunt or clinical as some of the star trek titles so yeah it's not necessarily a big reference point for anything specific but i quite like i quite like the the in- internal nature of it, you know, a night in sick bay. It's very much about people, you know, and about just the, the ship itself. That's quite nice. It's quite a change in pace. Definitely. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a change in pace and a change in uh, pace for the title as well. A um, couple of episodes down, we've got the seventh. Now, this is a very strange one, I think, because it's sort of, it sounds like an incomplete title maybe that's deliberate i mean this is sort of about incomplete memories isn't it or things Could that have kind of been but you think is it you know the seventh seal or the seventh i don't know yeah the seventh configuration Samurai, or, it's very yeah. odd to call it the seventh i think yeah exactly i don't know it's a strange one i, I suppose it stands out partly by virtue of being quite strange it's a sort of awkward title because it doesn't i guess because it sort of feels like it's missing a noun and the seventh obviously is the noun but it, it you imagine there's a word missing somehow and I, I wonder if there's, is there not, I wonder if there's a weird, like, meta aspect, because it's the seventh episode of the season as well. So. Is it? Uh, oh, yeah. Right, okay. Like, but, but they wouldn't surely have <laughs> named it just as, like, <laughs> like a working episode. title, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. That is a strange, that's an interesting coincidence. Yeah. Is that a coincidence? Is, anyway. is it a coincidence? Like, I don't know. Well, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Um. <laughs> A few episodes down, we've got Vanishing Point. This is a pretty terrible episode, I think. Um, but Great title, though. Quite a good title, I think, yeah. Uh, good science-y title, because cause it's one of those science-y titles. It, it does feel like it could be a Voyager title or whatever. Um, but in the context of the episode, it has that kind of slight sinister edge to it somehow, you, you know, in this kind of existential crisis that's that's kind of going on there. I think it's it's not a bad one. There is also a film from 1971 called Vanishing Point. Is there? Okay. As well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, about a disaffected ex-policeman and race driver 
who deliver a, a souped-up car cross-country while high on speed. So I don't know if he's... <laughs> I don't know if he's really going to be linked to this. That sounds more fun than the Enterprise episode, I have to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. Uh, followed by Precious Cargo. Not a particularly precious, not a gem in the, no. in the pantheon of, of Star Trek episodes. I suppose you could say the character in it is pretty precious herself, insofar as she's, you, you know, has a lot of a high regard for herself and so on. But. Um, mm terrible episode not a particularly (laughs) inspiring title either i don't think really although i guess it's kind of ironic in you know both for the within the episode and of the episode itself then we have star trek nemesis now you and i mentioned when we were talking about the picard series uh season one this interesting choice of michael shabon to use the word hubris in that uh famous line which i won't quote now because i'll get us in trouble nemesis was the greek goddess i think who the goddess of revenge who punished those guilty of hubris hubris being um sort of a, a, a too much regard for yourself and a lack of sort of respect uh to the gods i think basically so interesting that that's that's so that's the kind of origin of that word now obviously we think of as a nemesis as just a kind of implacable enemy you know we think of khan as kirk's nemesis although again there there's this kind of element of revenge uh, a sort of remorseless foe and I suppose, you, you know, they were very consciously with Star Trek Nemesis trying to give Picard a Khan uh, and they couldn't find one by going back into the next gen back catalogue. So they sort of had to invent one with this, you know, weird backstory for Shinzon. But there is very much a kind of element of revenge there. There is a kind of element of um, he is almost a bit like a sort of force of nature somehow, Shinzon. So I suppose there is a kind of um, I mean, I've said before, I'm not a huge fan of this film, but I think it's a good title it's you, you know it kind of it kind of sells what they're going for at least whether they pull it off or yeah. not yeah yeah I, I i don't mind nemesis you know I, I i find it's okay you know it's not as bad as i think some people say i think it's i still think it's probably the weakest next generation film but i i, I it does it does the job the title does the job i think it's a sign that they really wanted to show the you know it's obviously a really it, they want to go dark with this film obviously as was the the trend at the time you know let's go dark let's go big and it works in that sense the problem with the title like this is that you've to have nemesis you've really got to have a hell of a character i think to really sell that and i don't know if shinzon was you know in many ways you know ne- nemesis would feel like you know it were you, you could have called you could have called star trek 2 nemesis in a way because I would have bought Khan more as a nemesis for Kirk in some senses, you know, given their history. You're right. It's kind of overselling the villain somehow. A little, yeah, um, you know. And, you know, nothing against Tom Hardy, who obviously is a fantastic actor, but no. I'm not... And, and, you know, I think he's pretty good in that film, but he is so young mm, and he's so... Mm. I don't know. I, I mean, he, he's not necessarily the problem with that film, but I no, think... No, not at all. I do slightly wonder... At one point, they had this idea that Patrick Stewart was going to play the, the villain as well. <laughs> I can't help thinking that would have been, or you know, I mean, in a different story, if they'd got Ian McKellen in as the, do you know what I mean? You, you'd buy yeah, that as a nemesis. Yeah. Do you know someone who's equal? Sure. I think that's part of the problem. I never really bought that Tom Hardy was a an equal no opposite to Picard in the way that Khan is sort of an equal opposite to Kirk. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Absolutely. Um, yeah. There's no mutual 
there isn't the kind of mutual respect. There isn't the kind of, you, you know, because as much as, okay, we can be told that Shinzon has achieved all this stuff and, you know, done a kind of coup on the Romulans and, and, you know, accumulated all this power and so on. All we really see is this random, you know, creepy guy, uh, with his weird sort of personal issues. It doesn't, it doesn't, I don't know. We don't, we don't really, they don't sell that somehow. They don't sell no. them as this sort of great, brilliant, tactical genius or whatever he's supposed no. to be somehow um absolutely it just seems like this kind of boy who's got serious psychological issues you know you know uh, um, uh, for me a nemesis is like cisco and ducat that's a nemesis exactly you know yeah, yeah. you've a, a relationship you've built up over years that it, it builds this incredibly epic exactly you yeah. know battle at the end so yeah, it doesn't really it doesn't really work. But you know, and there does have to be a kind of mutual respect, which I, I think on one level, you know, Ducati is always trying to get Cisco's respect. Um, and on one level, I mean, I don't think Cisco respects him much as a person, but he kind of you have to respect Ducat as a kind of I don't know. He, he is a sort of force, isn't he? Yeah. And he's kind of do you know what I mean? You don't turn your back on him. You don't underestimate no. him. You kind of yeah. You know, you you respect his ability if you know what I mean to mm. a certain extent. Mm, um, sure. Yeah, you're right. He's maybe more of a nemesis than Shinzon is. So coming back to Enterprise, uh, we've got the episode Future Tense. I guess this sells time travel shenanigans. Um, this is another one of these slightly interchangeable ones for me. I have to say, sadly, not a sequel to Past Tense and probably not <laughs> up there uh, with that one. <laughs> uh, this Again, this is where they all blend, you know, cold front, future tense. But it is quite, it is quite good. It is quite interesting. It's a play on what we know before, you know, the phrase past tense. I quite like, there is an element of invention with these Cold War titles, these temporal Cold War titles. They're at least trying to play with language, play with our expectations of, either Cold War titles or, you know, ideas about time, you know, and, and things like that. That's, that's quite that's quite clever. That's quite good in a way. Now, I'm going to jump ahead uh, a little bit to the Borg episode that we mentioned before, Regeneration. Yeah. Now, again, I think this is just kind of doing for the Borg what Acquisition was doing for the Ferengi. I suppose there is an element of these, we thought the Borg were asleep They've regenerated. Do you know what I mean? We've woken them up. We've kind of dug them up. They live, you know, these kind of uh, zombie Borg from the yeah. Arctic or wherever they are. So there's that. But uh, otherwise, it does feel a little bit like it's kind of just signalling, yeah, this is our Borg one. Mm, yeah, it's a shame in a way because I think this is a fantastic episode, generally, of, 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 of any Star Trek. I think it's a really great way to utilise... Yeah, this is an acquisition where it's just hackneyed and ridiculous. This is a really clever way to bring the Borg in without bringing the Borg in. And why did it's really clever? Why did and the fact it all becomes a predestination paradox as well? Fantastic, I love all that. But why did they have to give it a Voyager title? Like you know, you could have gone, you could have gone with something far more interesting to this. And I get why because again, it's that immediate understanding of this is a Borg episode. And I remember, I remember when. Like you say, the titles were coming out before the episodes after time back in the day. And I remember seeing Regeneration. I was like, oh, it's Borg, the Borg. You know, I did get that happen, admittedly. So on that level, it's good. But when in advance, it was great. But when you get there, it's like, fine, I get the point. But it's still a little bit Trek of old. It's still like it's still that whole sort of recognition factor that they're not pushing into new territory, you know, we, we, or trying new things, you know, you know, you look at, look at the titles we've got now in the new Trek era, they're far more inventive by and large, most of them, you know, they're really interesting what they're trying to do. 
So, yeah, it's a blandish title, but yet for one of Enterprise's best episodes, you know. Followed by First Flight. Uh, now, this is, you know, I mentioned the right stuff earlier. This is really Enterprise leaning into that kind of right stuff. Yeah. Um, nostalgia. Uh, First Flight's an interesting title, though. I mean, to me, that kind of suggests more like the Wright Brothers rather than yeah. uh, the right stuff, if you know what I mean. But mm. um, definitely that's kind of what they're going for there. And, the, and this idea of flight... As you know, I was saying, if Broken Bow suggests a flight that doesn't, you know, get to happen, I suppose this is mm. one that does take off. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Could, could they have? Could they have called the pilot this? Would this have been a better title? Absolutely, for the pilot? yeah. I think it would think have been. So. You know, I think it yeah. would. I, I would have gone for that. Yeah, that would make yeah. a lot of sense. Definitely, definitely. but oh, well, it's not to be. Um, no. Then I was going to uh, jump along to one you mentioned, The Expanse. Now, I find this quite an odd title because what I remember about the season two episode is this attack. You, you know, it's this kind of terrible loss of life. It's this awful tragedy. It's this sense of, uh, you, you know, this kind of 9-11 moment, basically. To call it The Expanse is quite strange. I don't know why they didn't save that for the first episode of the next season. Yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, I know they, they, they're already in The Expanse by then. They, they do sort of get into The Expanse, I think, uh, towards the end of this episode. But most of the episode is dealing with this... Uh, kind of atrocity that's happened and deciding what to do and planning to go into the expanse. Um, I don't know. It's, it's an odd, uh, kind of an odd one. Obviously now we have, I don't know if you watch the expanse, the TV show, the expanse, but, um, I haven't yet. No, there's another, it's well, you should, it's great. Uh, <laughs> new season coming soon, I think. So there'll be even more of it for you to binge when you get around to it. But, um, I don't know. I, I think it's an odd title, The Expanse. Good episode. Yeah. Like the odd title. A, re- a really good episode. A f- cracking, like, finale, to be fair. That, but it, but it really, it's a finale that's entirely about the next season, isn't it? You know, it's, it, all, all of it is about the next. And I suppose that's the point, isn't it? They're trying to build up expectation for the Delphic Expanse you know and, and I, I think in that sense but like, I mean they could have gone with something maybe in that sense it succeeds maybe you're right yeah, it's like uh, yeah. this is the, season three is the Expanse opening out in front of us maybe and, you know, just look what we've got planned yeah yeah maybe, could be I don't know Jumping over the next episode, the Zindi, fairly self-explanatory. Then we have Anomaly. Now, this obviously is the one with these spatial anomalies that are doing weird things to the ship. I think there's also an element there of this is an anomalous episode for Archer. This is the one where he basically waterboards a prisoner yeah, uh, to try yeah. and get information out of them. And I do wonder if there's a sense that, you know, which is the real anomaly? Is it the kind of spatial anomaly or is it the way the captain is behaving, uh, you, you know, in a way that we do not associate with a, a Starfleet captain at all. Yeah, that's true, actually. That, that, is, that is an interesting double meaning, definitely. I think it, it's it's funny because this third season sort of, it has some really interesting episodes that sort of break format at the same, but but I always felt like they didn't, you know, the way they established the anomalous stuff in The Expanse, the, the episode it never felt like they got weird. I mean, that, that, that whole, that whole stuff they did in the X, but it really reminded me of Event Horizon, the film Event Horizon. Yeah, definitely. Which is really twisted. I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But they never really do that then, you know, in the following season. And I was always a little bit disappointed no. that we never got that truly twisted, bizarro, horrible episode with people being inverted and going loopy. And, you know, it was just, yeah, it was yeah. a shame. And, and this, so this, but, so you don't really get it here but at the same time I think the whole stuff with Archer is very interesting so I don't really mind <laughs> in that sense you know but you're right it could have been more they could have leaned into the horror a bit more I definitely suppose. yeah yeah you're right you're right 
maybe that was what Brandon Braga had planned and could be Rick Berman pulled him back a bit I don't know <laughs> yeah probably probably um, followed by a truly terrible episode extinction but I think it's <laughs> worth mentioning because I think the title it almost earns the episode its place because I think a lot of people sort of think that this is seems like one of these kind of random episodes that doesn't really further the arc at all. But I think it thematically does tie in because there's this idea of extinction that kind of runs through the third season. You know, the humans are in danger of becoming extinct. The Zindi think they're in danger of becoming extinct. Everyone is kind of threatened with this potential for extinction. And here quite early in the season, we have this uh, race that have basically gone extinct and they're, you know, the only where they're surviving is through this virus or, or, or whatever it is. I, I don't know, this idea of like trying to escape extinction sort of seems like a theme that is going to play out through the season. Um, yeah. And so maybe for that reason, that episode kind of earns its place. And certainly the title uh, kind of puts its finger on that somehow. Yeah, it's a good good point. Yeah, because it's, it's a fairly average title i suppose in many ways but yeah thematically it works even if yeah it's a it is bad i i, <laughs> I remember watching this and thinking oh yeah not good a couple of episodes down we have impulse which is the closest we get to that kind of horror in the expanse thing with the zombie yeah. volumes, basically yeah. uh interesting to use that word because obviously in star trek we think of impulse engines but here i think it, i i assume it's the idea of this sort of out of control emotion it's not exactly emotion yeah. they're not like vulcans that have lost their self-control i mean they're i suppose you could say a zombie acts on impulse i don't know well well could it could it be a reference to so, sort of like impulse control as well as you know i don't mm. know some kind of twisted version of of that maybe that they, they've just lost inhibitions and they're just they they're you know they haven't got any attachment to their control emotionally which is what vulcans always have mm. i'm not sure mm. I, I think that's what it's getting at but it's a slightly yeah Slightly strange one, but I think it works. It's sat, I don't know. Maybe it's just because the episode is very memorable. It, it kind of... Mm. I don't know. It, you, you remember that that's the right one somehow. I, I don't know. Why is yeah. that? What, you know, is there a link between impulse and fusion? And I don't know. These quite mm, simple... Could be. You know, but both quite sort of scientific sounding in some ways, but um, can kind of go either way, can't it? Yeah. You could think about the engines. Definitely. You're absolutely right. It could be an episode about travel you know and that kind of that kind of thing it could go either way that one a few episodes down from there we've got twilight a beautiful title uh quite a beautiful episode in some ways i guess we have here sort of archer in his twilight years and this is set in the future we've also kind of got earth or not earth because earth's gone but you know the humans in their sort of twilight years again you know picking up on this theme of extinction these kind of people i don't know i guess i guess it sort of conveys the sort of sadness of that world that the episode is kind of mainly taking place mm. from within somehow yeah it's a nice it's a nice it's a nice title it although if, it, it would immediately make everyone think of the movies the twilight movies Sadly, did, they, yeah. did they come later i think they did I think they, they did, did come, come after this didn't sure they, they but did, yeah. Yeah, retroactively but it's still it's still a nice it's still a nice title and i think it it's this episode's kind of i suppose the the enterprise version of like the inner light isn't it that kind of you know mm. or the kind of episode yeah, or the visitor. Kind of, yeah, yeah exactly, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's good. Yeah, it has that little element of mysticism or magic or strangeness to it, which I think the episode does have. Yeah, it's good. Now, next up, we go from Twilight to a star, North Star. Mm. I really like this episode. Uh, I like the feel of it. It makes me. Th- it makes me think of the kind of star. I, th- I think maybe it makes me think of like the star of the sheriff's badge when you think of like a fistful yeah, of datas or just definitely. like a classic western. But actually, mm. when I looked it up, the North Star, I think, is a reference to the fact that slaves escaping from the South used the North Star as a 
um, reference point, basically, to guide them where to go, basically. Oh, okay. So the North Star is, is specifically kind of, you know, placed in the context of this, um, you know, obviously this, this storyline where they're these oppressed, um, peoples basically and then it's kind of about their their rights and their, their treatment and so on is explicitly invoking kind of um you know slaves in the south trying to escape to the north basically so it's an interesting uh interesting reference point there um followed by similitude another sort of sciencey title an interesting one though, i think because it's a little bit more I don't know. It feels like it has a little bit more to it. Somehow, it's hard to tell. Maybe that's partly because because it's such a great episode. Um, obviously, literally, it just really means similarity. But I think calling it similitude rather than calling it similarity makes it sound more specific and more kind of high tech and and kind of and so on. And obviously, this is about a symbiote uh, who ends up being called Sim. So there's a kind of weird yeah. sense of there's a similarity between the character and the title and, and everything. It yeah. sort of all feels of a piece somehow. So it sort of makes bit sense of, they go for that title. Bit of a play on play on word play on words in some ways, isn't it? And a play on the mm. character name. Or, yeah, it's quite clever actually, yeah. Then we've got Proving Ground. Um Proving Ground is obviously a kind of military installation for testing weapons, which is essentially what we're seeing here. But it uh, it feels to me like a sort of it makes it definitely makes you think of well it makes me think anyway of, of sort of atomic weapons testing maybe that kind of um era so i think again it's sort of guiding us back towards what the season is trying to do as a whole which is to kind of move from this 9-11 allegory towards kind of world war ii allegory and this oppenheimer character uh with degra and to me i think the word proving ground it, 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 i don't know for me anyway it kind of pushes you in that sort of you know dropping atomic bomb territory somehow which i, I guess sort of helps with that yeah, I think there's also the the idea of having to prove something to Shran, you know, as well. And that, that level of, uh, if not like competition between them, but that growing respect, you know, that attempt to sort of use what's going on as a way of proving that they're on the same wavelength, you know, and that they're trying to prove to one. Because Shran is all about that, isn't he? He's all about trying to prove he's strength and about his and all that so it's it's interesting yeah it, it works on a couple of different levels this one it's quite good it's a good episode as well it, great episode yeah bikini atoll was part of what was known as the pacific proving grounds um according to wikipedia i think that's all i'm what i'm thinking of but yeah great episode and uh good title too i think harbinger now this is the one where the, you've got the kind of alien you've got the alien who they describe as being like a canary in the coal mine sort of thing uh obviously a harbinger sort of we think of as something that announces a danger to come or a kind of threat to come. We, we usually think of it in quite a sinister way. Literally, a harbinger comes from, I think, the same kind of root as the word harbour. And it was someone who was sent ahead to find safe harbour for like for, a, you know, whether for a ship or, or a fleet or whatever, or for an army. It would be the person who was sent ahead. So they would be a harbinger of that great force coming, which obviously is the idea with the sphere builders that this one uh individual is going to be a sort of harbinger of a whole kind of invasion or harbinger of doom uh, or, or exactly a harbinger of doom uh, and of this sort of whole you know species kind of encroaching into our space but there's also i don't know i think there is an interesting sense that you know the the canary in the coal mine thing you know it is it's trying to find 
an environment to live in. They're trying to make an environment to live in. It does. It almost fits with this idea of that. You know, the one that goes ahead to sort of seek out. It's it's this. This. I suppose the point about the harbinger is they're seeking out a place for their fellows to come and live in. Do you know what I mean? It's not just that. It's not that they're they're not like a scout in a kind of military sense. They're they're seeking somewhere to to live and and the kind yeah. of scouting out the living conditions somehow, which obviously fits very much with what the sphere builders are trying to do here. Mm, it's quite good. It's quite a, a good title in that sense. Yeah, it's um, a bit more a bit more evocative than some of these others. Then we've got Doctor's Orders. Um, now this is the one I think that is basically a retread of the Voyager episode one. Uh, much smarter title i think with one but I, I suppose it's a little bit punny insofar as you know the doctor's been giving his given his orders normally we think of doctor's orders as coming from the doctor these are orders that have been given to the doctor and he's mm. gonna have to carry them out and kind of be the one in charge uh for the first time so uh, you know but kind of kind of does what it says on the tin i suppose but yeah but they again are trying to sort of carry out you could imagine these titles definitely applying to the doctor in voyager though as well couldn't you like dear doctor oh, yeah, was another sure. one earlier in yeah. enterprise so they're they've almost carried even though flux is a very different character they've almost carried these whimsical-ish doctor titles over to enterprise you're right it's interesting we you know we don't get episodes with the name flux in them but we do get lots of episodes no. where flux is referred to as the doctor yeah uh, that is an interesting that's a good point i wonder if that's a kind of unconscious hangover somehow which you didn't mm. get with you know obviously you've got dr bashir i presume you, i don't think you'd ever get a bashir episode that used the word doctor without bashir yeah and exactly. i don't think i don't think dr crusher got doctor no episodes if you know what i mean or even mccoy so that's an interesting that is an interesting point has you know has the doctor from voyager kind of you know fed into that somehow into the the way that we kind of title flox episodes it could be maybe it's also because flox is a bit more of a not a comedy character but he's a bit more perky and dry and jokey than maybe like well certainly crusher would was Bashir was, but it was a bit different in his sense. And then obviously he, he they, they play with some interesting stuff with him. So maybe they just feel like with the Doctor, particularly the Doctor, and also a little bit with Flux, they can get away with more of these like play on Doctor as a title kind of titles. It's it's, it's strange though. It is strange. Yeah. It feels like that it definitely is a Voyager hangover for sure. Now, a few episodes down, we've got the episode damage which i think again it almost feels like a kind of counterpart to anomaly because it's the, i suppose because it's the other episode where archer does something kind of almost unconscionable obviously the ship is damaged almost beyond repair it seems by this point but is this equally about the damage that it's doing to archer uh really having to act in this way you know the, the damage that he's doing as well you know to this other ship i suppose but the kind of the, i suppose there's a sort of spiritual damage as well as you know physical damage and that's what we're going you know which is going to become a sort of story thread that gets picked up on over the ensuing episodes yeah and and the these kind of fairly to the point titles i think work and enterprise does a few of the good these good ones like we talked about in season three because there is multiple like anomaly was the other one Uh, there is multiple layers to it whereas i think some of the previous ones in previous shows that have been a bit one one word to the point they don't really mean a lot they just are quite technical whereas with this yeah it's tapping a little bit more into the psychology of archer yeah. the character so it works yeah it's a bit more effective a couple of episodes down we've got e squared now we had q2 earlier this time we've <laughs> got a superscript e it's not just now i wonder about this why is it squared i mean what does it mean 
that we don't have enterprise plus enterprise. We've got enterprise times enterprise. What you know? What are we saying here? I don't know. Uh, you know, is there uh, maybe Amy Nelson can give us a, a, some input <laughs> on that? I mean, what's the what's the <laughs> significance of the fact that it's you know it's not just two of them. It's it's that it's squared. Um, except that I suppose it seems more. Um, Maybe the fact that there's kind of time involved in it, and it's so it's yeah. something kind of slightly trippy about what they discover, uh, you know, finding their future selves and all this. Um, I don't know. It's a good episode, I think. Interesting episode it, uh, and the strong yeah. title. But uh, what I suppose it also evokes like E equals M C squared, doesn't it? Somehow. Yeah. In fact, this E squared. It's not enterprise squared. It's you know E squared. It seems like an equation. Yeah, it does, and I think that's what it is. They're going for the hint of enterprise with e but they're also going for a recognizable you know you look at that you're going to think of an equation you're going to think of maths you're going to think of numbers and yeah i think they're looking for a fairly recognizable way of sort of trying to describe what this episode is (laughs) even though it doesn't it doesn't yeah i think i think maybe they yeah I i get why they called it that but it doesn't quite work i don't think but I don't know. I, th- I think it's kind of a cool title. It's okay. Uh, it's easy yeah. to remember which episode it is. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Jumping ahead a little bit, we've got Stormfront. Uh, again, another one of these fronts, you know, these Cold War fronts. Um, this is the kind of Man in the High Castle uh, version of it with the sort of alternate World War Two outcome and so on. I don't know what to say about it more than that. I guess you've got the Storm... I don't know. Do you have like stormtroopers? Storm? Do you know what I mean? So yeah. Something is, is, is that. I suppose that's what's being evoked there with the storm part. This is the storm they, front. We had the cold front. We had. I can't remember what the other fronts. They're going are, um, the cold front. They're going for a very sort of mixture of I think Nazi stormtrooper kind of thing and the temporal cold war. Can I just very quickly though mention Zero Hour, which was the season three oh, yeah, sure. finale. I mean, it's it's a, it's a, almost a bit like an end gamey kind of title, isn't it? In some sense, zero hour, you know. But there is, there is a film, um, a document, a Canadian documentary film in 1944 called Zero Hour, which is about um, the Allied Axis and Allied invasions that took place during the Second World War. So oh, really it, it, interesting. It, it, it's in, zero hour just really strikes me as well as like a very B movie kind of war or post, you know, Cold War. 50s sort of b-movie title you know that whole idea of the you know it's it's very schlocky actually for the end of a season and i feels i quite like it actually i think there's it's quite epic in in a sense it's sort of suggesting something big is about to happen so yeah i think again that plays into what we get late next well at the end of the episode when we see the nazi you know (laughs) the nazi alien you know all factors like you say into this leaning back towards a world war ii kind of play on mm. that or allegory and that kind of thing that's an interesting point yeah zero hour and before that countdown both of which sound like season finales great um two, two great episode titles yeah very kind of action drama packed mm. um mm. i always remember the dvd for for that season of enterprise for some reason it that they when they wrote the blurb they'd written something about you know telling the whole story from countdown to zero hour by which they meant the countdown as in like the beginning of the story but i thought it's very yeah. strange because obviously these were actually this sounds like okay this is the whole story of two episodes you know in this season you're gonna get yeah. like an hour and a half worth of it but yeah yeah um no definitely two good titles there picking up after stormfront in season four of course we get the very simple home now 
this could have been a title for Voyager's finale, you might think, yeah. if they hadn't gone with Endgame. Yeah. I mean, this is, since that's what the whole of Voyager has been obsessed with, this idea of getting home. Obviously, mm. when Archer comes home, home is not quite what he hoped it might be, or he's not quite mm. what he hoped he might be. So there's this kind of bitter element to it. But I think the fact that it's this very simple, very kind of, I was going to say homely, very kind of, you, you know, appealing sort of warm title there's a kind of irony there just as there was in some ways you know with family for picard which obviously is well, about yeah. family but you might think of family in a very sort of cozy most people think of the word family as a nice kind of warm cozy sort of idea and in fact for picard it was much more anguished and difficult than yeah that somehow it's a very family-esque episode though in, in that sense isn't it you know they've come off the back of this massive epic traumatic universe destroying kind of thing and now they're it's a very pastoral kind of episode where they just go back you know it, it to some extent a little bit like we've just had with discovery actually as we record this with forget me not which was a little bit more you know about the crew trying to relax and settle a little bit and that kind of thing so i think yeah it's it's quite a it's a simple but fairly effective title it, it, a rare sort of fairly like obvious title for an ep- for a season that really does try and stretch the titles a bit in this year don't they they're, they're a little bit more interesting generally i like it though i, I like the simplicity yeah. of it because i think it you know it's it sort of it, it's almost so simple that it kind of raises a question uh if you know what i mean it, mm. it, it can't be that simple and, and we know it yeah. not by this point just jumping down a little bit, Cold Station 12, I think, is a fantastic sci-fi uh, title, Definitely. you know, whatever the context. It's just mm. a great, great sort of um, <laughs> feel to it. I mean, I really enjoy all these, you know, all the, all the kind of arcs in season four, Borderland, yeah. the Augment, Awaken It. I don't know. I just I think they're quite strong sci-fi kind of evocative titles. I don't think there's a huge amount to say about them necessarily, but they're, they're, they're strong titles either way. Although I have to say, I do struggle sometimes to remember which, you know, which what order do they go in? There's not necessarily, <laughs> they feel like, they feel like for each one of those episodes, they come up with three great titles and you could Definitely. almost, they could almost be interchangeable in a lot of cases. Yes. The standalones have great titles. I think some of them, Daedalus, obviously mm, uh, mm. for the, you know, the inventor who loses his son, Icarus. Here we have the inventor of the transporter who, who loses his son to it. Then we've got Observer Effect. One of my favourite Enterprise episodes and I guess this is the idea, you know, the observer effect is the idea that the observer affects the scientific experiment. A bit like, you know, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle mm, that you can't mm. kind of observe something without, uh, you know, without kind of interfering with it. Here, though, in a way, it's almost the other way around because it's actually the experiment that affects the observers insofar as the observers are trying to be kind of clinical and detached. But what, you know, witnessing the experiment actually changes them in some way and causes them i suppose they do interfere that's kind of the point is, is that um you know archer is sort of saying to them you know th- this aloof attitude of not interfering and so on is is wrong you know actually with this kind of experiment you should be interfering you shouldn't be going for this kind of detached idea but there's also this sense that the experiment has kind of influenced them has changed them somehow yeah yeah definitely it's the, there's there's a there's a flip aspect i think you've described that really well i i, I like it it's a really really nice title actually yeah it really is it's 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 a it's a play on an understandable term and also yeah it works on 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 many levels you're right about how the the, the standalone episodes perhaps have more evocative titles than some of the you know the clusters but yeah, it's very good. 
The next uh, little cluster obviously kicked off by Babel 1. Now, obviously, this is a reference to both, you know, the Tower of Babel in the Bible, but also more mm. specifically the original series episode, Journey to Babel, yeah. uh, and the idea of the Babel conference and so on. Um, so that's, I suppose that's sort of reference that works on on both levels. But I, I think the, the within Star Trek reference point yeah. is the stronger one there, for sure. Definitely. Mm. Jumping down a little bit through these next couple of... Uh, you know, mini arcs. Um, another standalone, not my favourite Enterprise episode, I have to say, Bound. I'm not quite sure what they were going for here. Is it a kind of S&M thing? Is it that <laughs> sexy lesbian movie that the Wachowskis yeah. made after The yeah. Matrix? What, you know, what are yeah. we, <laughs> what exactly are they going for here with Bound? I mean, I feel like it's a terrible episode uh, in pretty much every way. I kind of feel the title possibly makes it even worse somehow. Because it really leans into that, yeah, <laughs> slightly sleazy, slightly kind of um, sketchy thing, and I don't uh, even yeah. really know exactly what it means, to be honest. I th- I think they just wanted to get some women in, Orion women in, and just yeah, I think they thought this kind of episode would be a bit of fun, you know. And I think what, what the problem with Star Trek of this era is whenever they try and have a bit of fun, it's usually awful. Like, you know, normally, <laughs> like, you know, you look at something like Fascination, for me anyway, I'm just like, oh God, no. Or, you know, you just I think, quite well, like Fascination. Uh, yeah, I know, I know you quite like, that's why I said for me, because I know you quite like that one. But like, there are, there are some really like, and you just think, oh, please, please stop having fun. You know, just the fun comes, <laughs> <laughs> the fun comes from the episodes where they're not having fun in a way. I don't know. I just yeah. think that, yeah, Bound is not a good example of that absolutely no. yeah uh, interesting you should mention these you know the ones where they're just having fun because the next episode is one that most people love and i um don't have a huge amount of time for myself in a mirror darkly i would say though regardless of my reservations about the episode it's a great title yeah i mean we've previously had alice in wonderland for the mirror universe we've mm. had uh snow white mirror mirror on the wall for the mirror universe now we get one corinthians uh for now we see but through a glass darkly and then we shall see whatever it is whatever the line is clearly basically um and interestingly (laughs) the glass in that biblical quotation may be a glass or it may be a mirror i mean i think Mm. and i think in this case it's obviously being taken to refer to a mirror so the idea that we see ourselves you know darkly we see ourselves distorted we see a version of ourselves that's not kind of how we really are which is very fitting for the mirror universe i guess I don't love these episodes at all. I think they're a complete waste of time, personally, mainly because they have no impact whatsoever on the characters that we're supposedly uh, following. Somewhat, Mm. you could say, like these are the voyages, actually. There's almost a similar kind of disconnect from the Enterprise crew in them. Um, But I know a lot of people love them, and I do think it's a great title. It is a great title. I mean, they're not not my favourite Mirror episodes by any means. You know, I think they are... They, and I, you know, credit to them for trying something different. I think for trying to just flip it over and and maybe be slightly more ahead of their time in some sense. In that, you know, you would get this later with, say, Fringe, that had its own sort of mirror universe, and they would they eventually had characters, two very different storylines playing out in two different universes, week week by week, flip flip flip. And I know they didn't do that specifically with this, but I quite I quite appreciate the idea that almost the title is a suggestion that we're looking through the dark mirror at this. We're not, we're not involved like the characters have been in things like mirror, mirror or, you know, shattered mirror or whatever they are. 
in this case, we're just looking through the mirror at this world, you know, and and I, I quite like that. I quite like that in a sense, but I can see why people would have their problems with it. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's not the best, you know. It's no, uh, it's no. Uh, my, well, I think my favourite's probably through the looking glass. I really like that one, actually. You mean that it's almost like a frame, the mirror that we're, that we're sort of seeing, yeah. like a one a one way mirror, like in a police yeah, station exactly. kind of thing. Yeah. I see. That's an interesting way of looking mm. at it. And so it's in the mirror because that's because it's in that universe. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe whatever. Um, <laughs> the next, the what should have been the two part finale for Enterprise. I think yeah. uh, two fantastic episodes, Demons and Terror Prime, and two great titles as well because they both, I think carry a kind of double meaning demons because obviously there's this question of who are the demons you know are the demons the aliens i mean going back to the original series we had spock being described as being like a demon you know being like the devil uh in fact in this episode it becomes pretty clear it's the humans that are the real demons uh you know a bit like you could say going back to the devil in the dark who's the real devil with humans are the real devils there um and then terra prime you've got this great play on words with terror as in earth and terror as in terrorism because it's basically about mm. terrorist organization um so two really clever titles i think for two fantastic episodes yeah definitely yeah they, they absolutely should have been the end of enterprise and yeah i think yeah that they they have they bring in that that grounded sense you know obviously with terror literally as well there's a grounded sense of very earth-based stuff with this and you know if you like demons you know a very sort of an almost religious connotation and that that element of you know uh you don't always get with star trek i don't know i I think i think they are good they are very simple and basic in some senses but they they work but yeah they should they should have been even even though i i do like the the title of the next one coming up That these these should have been these should have been the finale hundred percent. The final episode, obviously, these are the voyages. You're right. Uh, terrible episode for my money. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it great is. Great title, and it's a great title, and it fits very much with one of the few things that is really good about that episode is the literally like last five seconds where we get yeah. that kind of montage of all the enterprises, and we yeah. get the you know for the first time since Next Gen went off the air, we get that. Um, whatever you call it, that little speech that we get, you know, in, in mm. uh, the original series, A Next Generation, which has proved so influential, actually, that I was I was trying to count the number of uh, Star Trek episodes that have kind of riffed off that. We've got, mm. um, we don't have one called Space, as far as I can think, which is a shame. And we've had like Night and, and <laughs> yeah. stuff, but I think they, they could do yeah. an episode just called Space. Obviously, the X-Files had an episode called Space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we've had The Final Frontier, obviously. Uh, mm. We've had... This one, these are the voyages. These are the voyages. Uh, we've had strange new worlds to explore. Strange new worlds. We've had the, the new civilization in Enterprise, um, and obviously we've had both where no man has gone before and where no one has gone before. So yeah. six times uh, Star Trek has plundered its own uh, <laughs> little yeah. voiceover intro for episode yeah. titles in the course of you know whatever it is. Uh, how many years will he be out here? Like 40-ish, I guess, mm. years by this point. And obviously, as we said, with Strange New Worlds coming down the pipeline, obviously, you know, um, there may be more. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> I don't, yeah. there aren't many words left to extract from that, I suppose. No. Uh, seek out new life. Maybe you could get something out of that bit. I don't know. Um, I, f- I feel kind like... Of, they kind of got most of it there by now. They do. It's an interesting I feel... uh, marathon, I suppose. And interesting, they're kind of like you know, uh, Captain's Intro Marathon, where you watch all those episodes yeah. together. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. I feel like in the that final order. Fr- <laughs> you know. Yeah, in the order, yeah. yeah. In the in the order that they come in the in the speech. Yeah. 
I feel like the final frontier could be a title that gets repurposed one day as well. You know, I mean, we've reckon? only ever had that once and it's been years ago. I could well imagine a future Star Trek show being called the, series, the final yeah. frontier. Yeah, yeah. You know, that would, that'd be really good. Or, 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 uh, or the, the, the premiere episode of a series, you know, something like that. But we'll see. If this is a great title though. It is. It's a shame the episode's terrible, but it, it's, it's really evocative. It's really nice. And in terms of the, the flawed attempt at what they were trying to do to cap off an era, I think, and cap off the first 40 years, if you like, even though, you know, I think These Are The Voyages is a nice, is a nice title in that respect. It's just a shame that it's just a terrible finale, you know, as I know we've discussed elsewhere, but like, yeah, it's a great title. It makes sense as well, because I mean, it is, you know, it, it makes perfect sense with the fact that it's from the perspective of Riker and so on. And these are, you yeah. know, they are watching Star Trek. So they would yeah. get the, yeah. like the meta text around Star Trek, exactly. if you know what I mean? I mean, this, mm. these are the voyages is that that line is speaking to the audience, isn't it? It's not, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's it's almost breaking the fourth wall when they say Definitely. that, you know, these are the voyages is telling you, this is what this TV show is about. Mm. Uh, and the only person who can say that is... You know, well, we get it in Lower Decks in the finale there, don't we? With Riker coming back and saying, oh, yeah, yeah I was, you know, doing the holodeck of the Enterprise crew again. <laughs> you know, what great guys they were. <laughs> you know, getting from That's here, to, going from there to here. It, 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 it's a phrase that exists outside of Star Trek, and yet it finds a way to sort of exist within Star Trek by having Star Trek watching Star Trek. Um, so it does, as much as the episode itself makes almost no sense, the title mm. makes perfect sense for once. Absolutely. Well... We made it through to, <laughs> you know, the end of Star Trek, as we thought for yeah. many years, um, through many, many decades. Um, and obviously we'll pick up next time with, uh, some of the more recent ones. We might wait a little while and see if we can get at least, I don't know when the right time would be to, to, to wait for, but since we're at the moment bang in the middle of Discovery season three, mm. it might make sense to at least wait until the end of that season so we can uh, yeah. check. Although I think all the episode titles have been, leaked including one very uh, surprising episode called yes. um, unification Three, unification i knew you were going to say that intrigued yeah. that one and then also the fact that 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 hope is you part one doesn't appear to have a part two yeah yet. Um, what's that about and i don't That's know weird. whether i think part two is going to be the opening of season four yeah um, maybe and I base that partly on on just that that seems to make sense to me. But but also the director Ola Tunde Osun Sanmi uh, tweeted that they'd started uh, principal photography on that episode, and I replied cheekily saying, "Is that um, that hope is you part two? And he liked my tweet. Now I don't know, if that's, ah, you, you okay. know, non disclosure agreements and so on being what they were. I, I don't yeah. know if that you, you know is that is exactly binding or anything, but it." Um, at least struck me. He'd obviously seen. He'd obviously seen that and thought that was a decent suggestion. So if it's not the premiere, could be the finale. Who knows? Could be the could be. series finale. Uh, they must have a plan for it, though. You don't put out a part yeah, one with no definitely. part two without there being something going on there. So they've, they've got something Absolutely. in mind. Um, obviously, it might turn out to be the season finale for part three and for season three, and they've just. Um, we've got either we've got lies, or maybe there's an extra episode because they have put in extra episodes in previous mm. seasons before. It'd be mm. odd for could them be. not to mention it. Maybe it's a short track. Who knows? But um, we'll find it's out. It's an intriguing title. Definitely putting a part one without a part two is a, is a pretty good way of uh, intriguing your audience with your titles. Um, Absolutely. So we'll see whether that's a mystery that gets solved anytime soon or not. <laughs> be fun to come back and do the uh, the new 
the new set. I mean, Discovery has got some fantastic ones, like The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry and all these things. You know, that would be fun to come back and do at some point. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, well, until we meet again for some of those uh, exciting new titles, (laughs) Tony, it's been a pleasure as ever uh, having you on to chat about some of these these names, these titles. Um, Before you go, why don't you let our listeners know where they can find you online and what else you've been up to recently? Oh, well, you know, that would take another two hours if I go through all that. But uh, in short... I'd say check out two places. My Twitter probably is the best at AJ Blackwriter and uh, my uh, podcast network. We made this at we made this pod.com. There you'll find all the different things going on with me. Brilliant. Thanks again for joining me, Tony and see you next time. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners' group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Primitive Culture, and that will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash TrekFM, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash TrekFM to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits and more, available through our special patrons website, PatronZone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host and distribute these shows each month, so we really appreciate any support you can give us, and we hope you'll join the team. Again, you can find all our details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take a moment now to thank our associate producers on Primitive Culture, Amy Nelson, Clara Cook and Tony Black. Amy is a presenter of many other shows on the network, and you can find her on Twitter at at MissAmyNelson. Clara and Tony were two of the former co-hosts of this show, and they'll be popping back from time to time. You can find Clara on Twitter at at MC and Tony at at AJBlackWriter. You're blended all right.